Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Happy Friday Eve from Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, when is the daytime going to start? That is a great question, Randy, um, because it doesn't look like daytime right now. It does not. It's very dark. It's very rainy. I hope everyone that's driving is being safe and careful out on the roads. But... Yeah, we need some sunshine. I'm sick of this rain. I know that's the next segment, but this yeah. is just ridiculous. I think it's, you think it's safe to take the chopper up? You know what? Uh, I, th- I think if you do it with great caution, it's safe. Okay, here we go. Be careful. All right. As we look down at uh, Olive East and Westbound in Creve Corps, Missouri, everything looks clear. Very little traffic. As a matter of fact, folks, turn your lights on if you're driving around today. And then we move up to 270 north, <laughs> south, east, west. It does go all four directions. It looks clear, looks slow, and drive slow because it's raining and dark. So turn your lights on, kids, and be safe out there on Olive 270, wherever you're driving today. I'm Captain Randy Carricker in the 101 ESPN Jet Copter 2. There were four cars that straight that went by that didn't have their lights on. Uh, I could see it from overhead, Matthew. There are uh, yeah a lot of cars out there without their lights on. Turn them on. If you're using your wipers, turn on the lights. Come on, people. This is basic driving. Come on, St. Louis. Let's get it together. I know it's early, but let's be safe. Let's the, throw those lights yeah, on. It, it also, the, the weather that is causing this darkness right now, caused the Cardinals and the Cubs to get rained out last night. And that was kind of a bummer. Super bummer, because that's what we were going to talk about. Tyler O'Neill was actually in the lineup, too, and that would have been fun. It would have been great. And I can't wait to to see uh, our newest addition to the St. Louis Cardinals, Quintana, throw Mm -hmm. today. It's going to be great. So is it a bigger deal for you to see Quintana or see O'Neill for his game or two? Uh, Quintana. Okay. As as important as Tyler O'Neill is and his health is, starting pitching is more of a necessity as far as I'm concerned, and I want to see what he looks like. I'm for just the entertained Cardinals. when I get the rare chance to watch Tyler O'Neill play. It's not going to be rare, Randy, because you better get used to it. Because once he gets in there, he's going to remain healthy. Oh, the Iron Horse! Here we go. I love it. He heard us yesterday on Carriker and Smallman discussing the food tour. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to work in some burgers and Pilates. Okay. Lengthen is... and strengthen. Okay. Let's that, not let's not do just the the straight. Strength, yeah. you know, yeah. let's, let's and, ditch and the, the weights. The protein shakes and the weightlifting, okay, buddy? We're done with egg whites. Yeah. We're done with creatine or whatever it is that you're throwing in your smoothies. We're going burgers and we're going Pilates. Because okay. you're still getting protein with the burgers, but you're also getting the bun, so I gotta fries on the side. tell you a story. I think the statute of limitations may have passed on this. Anytime you say that, I'm all for it. It's a green light so, for me. One of our great friends worked here at 101 ESPN. Great guy, Bob Stelton. He works in Seattle now. Yes. 
Tyler O'Neill was a minor leaguer with the Mariners. And Bob Stelton interviews this Mariners minor leaguer, Tyler O'Neill. And you know, Tiger has or uh, Tyler has a great voice, very deep voice. He's got he's gonna be a radio. Yeah, I, I, I can talk on the radio. I, I can do this. So he's got a terrific speaking voice. So they finish the interview, get into a commercial, and Bob Stelton says, Man, you could do this. You you got great pipes. And Tyler, you know, flexes his bicep and says, Thanks, I work on them a lot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, but also, he's not wrong. He is not wrong. <laughs> He's got every pipe in his body is great. Oh, context. <laughs> Good point. So he was in the lineup yesterday before the rain out. And what does Tyler O'Neill need to do besides hamburgers and getting rid of the protein shakes to make sure that he stays on the field? It's been a very staggered year for me, unfortunately, just with uh, some soft tissue issues. So, um, you know, there's some adjustments that I need to be making uh, in my pregame preparation, of course, in the recovery stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm in good hands here. And, uh, you know, everyone's on the same um, on the same boat when it comes to getting me prepared the right way. And, um, you know, experiencing different methods of recovery, um, you know, that could, that could work for me. So um, we're always trying to make that adjustment. And uh, obviously the goal is to be on the field every day. Um, you know, I want to be there every day, of course, and help these guys win. So um, I'm ready for this last stretch here. Different methods, fries and Pilates. That's all he needs to get started. And then toss in a burger now and then, right? No doubt. Again. And a beer. Eight ounce curls. And a beer. Eight-ounce curls. Eight-ounce curls, yeah. So last night, the Cardinals were able to pick up a game on the Pirates despite not playing the game. What a game. 4-4. Pittsburgh scores three in the bottom of the seventh. 7-4. Milwaukee comes back three in the top of the eighth. 7-7 game. Heading to the bottom of the ninth. We head into that inning with Brian Reynolds leading off for the Buccos. This year, six for six. Drive to right center field. Anchor down. Clear the deck. Cannonball coming. Buckos win it. First career home run walk off for B Ray. We like that. B Ray? We, we like the way like B Ray. Right? I knew you would love yeah, that. Randy B Ray. a call finish with a nickname. And you love uh, that. And we, we thank the Pirates for the victory over the Brewers. We do. And I wonder if they're missing Josh Hader yet. Well, yeah. <laughs> I would suggest that that's a possibility. What was a puzzling move became even more puzzling yeah. after that game. And our friend Devin Williams, the Hazelwood West product, who's going to be the nominal new closer in Milwaukee, he's the one that allowed that home run. And here's the thing, Michelle. We saw it with a guy like Mitchell Boggs, who was a brilliant eighth-inning pitcher, right? But then they put him into the ninth, and I, I every single pitcher, 100% of the pitchers, that I talk to, even though the numbers people say, no, it doesn't matter. It's just outs. But 100% of the pitchers that I talk to say, no, the, getting the 27th out is a different animal altogether. And Mitchell Boggs found that out. And I'm not saying Devin Williams can't be the closer. Mariano Rivera, when he became the Yankees closer, he blew three of his first six saves. Joe Torre had to bring him in and say, look, I don't have anybody else. You're my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it. This yeah. is your and, job. And, and then he reeled off like 22 in a row. But my point is, is that, as Tony LaRusso would say, some people just don't have the stomach for getting the 27th out. And a lot of guys do. We just don't know. When you trade a guy like Hader, who you know about, you actually, Matthew and I were talking about it earlier. I think they traded the best player. I think Josh Hader was their most important player. 
he is so good. And I know that he had a down July, but I would have been willing to weather that storm if I was Milwaukee because I know what he's capable of when when things even out. But back to Devin Williams, Randy, in the wake of Josh Hader getting traded, when Devin Williams was interviewed about it, he was very pointed that he was not happy that they moved Josh Hader and that he would have to absorb this new role. And... I imagine if you already have that mentality going into the game, you're not setting yourself up for success. No, definitely not. You have to go in with an attitude that you're going to do it. And that's one of the great things. And I don't know what Hayter did for Williams, but how often have we heard Adam Wainwright talk about, or Jason Isringhausen talk about what Izzy did for Wayno mm-hmm. when Wayno became the closer down the stretch in 06, just helping him understand what it took to be that guy. And most of it is mental. They all have, Devin Williams has unbelievable ability, but like, as he told me, you got to breathe and you, you do have to treat things in a different manner. You can't tighten up when you're a closer. And a, a lot of guys that get into that position do. Well, and as you mentioned, you can't quantify the pressure that comes with that job. And some people might not feel comfortable being the last guy. It, it might not just be mm-hmm. something mentally that they feel like they can overcome. It, it might be too much for them. And I think Devin Williams, as you mentioned, is so talented and he'll he'll be able to, to figure it out and regulate himself. But I just know that right now, if you're going into a job begrudgingly and you are and you already have negative feelings toward it, it's not going to lend itself to success. Absolutely not. Here is, by the way, the St. Louis and Devin Williams on the trade that the Brewers made sending Josh Hader to the Padres. I I don't really have a lot to say, to be honest with you. Um, I I don't know. Is that just because it's part of the business and a surprise or? Yeah, I was surprised. Does that sound like a guy who's pumped to be the closer? Doesn't sound like it, Michelle. Uh, I don't think so either. And I'm surprised Milwaukee, and I know that they're going to have to make whatever move that they need to make, but knowing how important Devin Williams is going to be to the equation moving forward, presently and future, if they want to win the division and go on a run in the playoffs, if you knew that he was reluctant to take on this role or... Shame on you if you didn't speak to him about it before you made this move. You should know things like this before you go out and deal somebody like Josh Hader. So the Cardinals will have the doubleheader today, 12-15 for the first game, and it will be for the Cardinals, uh, Marcus Stroman, and he'll, uh, for the Cardinals, Miles Michaelis, for the Cubbies, Marcus Stroman. Then the night game tonight at the usual 645 time is Jose Quintana for the Cardinals, and he'll be opposed do we have a Cubs starter yet? I don't even know if we... I, I have not seen the Cubs starter for the second game. So uh, we'll get that all figured out. Jordan Montgomery will face the Yankees on Saturday. His former team will be his opponent in his first Cardinal start. And Andre Pallante moves back to the bullpen. That's a big thing. And Michelle, one football note, and by the way, we'll be in Canton for the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction of Dick Vermeil tomorrow morning. But the NFL has appealed the six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson. They want a tougher penalty under the league's personal conduct policy. So essentially what Roger Goodell has appealed this to himself. That is the court that he's going to. And... I can't imagine that they're going to go through this and that Roger Goodell is going to be the one that's going to be appointed because he determines who hears the appeal, the appeal, and I think it will likely be him if you're not going to suspend him at least a year because that was the NFL's initial suggestion. And let's be honest here. 
we are. I'm very jaded by the NFL, so I I always look at everything with, regarding the NFL through that lens. And this is an opportunity for Roger Goodell to have a very good PR moment. And I I can't imagine after the pretty much universal negative reaction to the Deshaun Watson punishment that Roger Goodell is going to put himself in a position to not come in with a with a swifter punishment or a more severe punishment and be somewhat of the hero in this scenario. It's been a long time. And maybe since Roger Goodell took over, that the NFL has been able to exhibit good optics, at least for people that pay attention and know what's going on. I know a lot of people thought, oh, the NFL is back in L.A. It's really when you lose $790 million and you do it the way you did, that is not good optics for the league. When you look at Tyreek Hill playing and the way that that was handled, Kareem Hunt playing, the way that was handled, the entire situation surrounding Deshaun Watson, there are are so many issues that the NFL has run across. I mean, just Daniel Snyder, (laughs) Daniel Snyder, even something in their own house, like uh, an owner that basically did tell everybody, yeah, I'd prefer to lose to have a higher draft choice. And then you don't even, you say that wasn't doing anything wrong. He was joking. That's bad optics. So they do, do need to start looking better. It's hard for a sport. It's amazing to me that the NBA optically does as well as they do. And by the way, the NHL does too. But man, baseball and football really have their issues with just the perception of their sports. Because I think both of those leagues are very transparent with their intentions. When it comes down to baseball and the NFL, they're very transparent about the fact that this is all about money. That they don't care about the players. They don't care about the fans. They only care about how the product is consumed and what it does for them as an entity. Whereas I think at least for the NBA, Adam Silver genuinely, I think, cares about the players and genuinely cares about using the NBA as a vessel to do the right thing and to make some sort of change socially. He understands the responsibility that comes with being the commissioner of the NBA from a holistic and societal standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think hockey has had such a bad road that Gary Bettman is is trying to do everything he can to put hockey in a a better spot. Right. Whereas I think the NFL realizes that they're king and unless it's something that's going to affect their bottom dollar, they don't really care. And let's it's not completely apples to apples, but it's close. So you have the whole Deshaun Watson situation with 24, 25 women. You have the Cody Beach situation in Chicago, where he is sexually assaulted by a member of the organization. Once the league finds out about it, what do they do? The president's gone, the general manager's gone, the coach of that team, gone, mm-hmm. out of the league. Yep. Out, of, out of the league and from all of everything I get, Joel Quenville is not coming back anytime soon, and he wants to. So... That's what the NFL or NHL did when they had a sexual assault allegation against an employee of their league. And what the NFL has done to to this point, aside from all the other ones that we mentioned with Deshaun Watson, is suspended for six games. Look at Trevor Bauer. Yeah, right. There's another one. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. Coming up, sick of it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take this no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Character and Smallman are sick of it. We 
We welcome you to get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. It is time for Sick of It here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Michelle, I'm, I'm sick of thinking about the fact that this weekend is going to be the very last big NFL St. Louis moment. There will never be another big St. Louis NFL moment after Dick Vermeil goes into the Hall of Fame. And that bums me out. What about Tory? We're in Tory's rearview mirror. Tory is, he's a Ram, but he's not a St. Louis guy. And, and we're fans of his. He's not really fans of ours. What? Yeah. Tory's so great. He's, Tell us. He, he's great. But Tory's, Tory's all in on L.A. Hmm. Well, that is sad then. If this is our last moment, we better savor it. Because Absolutely. that team gave us so much and continues to. Yeah. Yeah, the, the greatest Sean Turf team was incredible. I mean, when you see Isaac coming back and doing what he does, Kurt coming back, uh, we're, we're going to talk to Trent Green tomorrow. He still loves the fact that he grew up in St. Louis and really wanted to, to play here. And obviously, DV says now that the biggest mistake he ever made was leaving St. Louis. Gosh, that's hard to, to wrap your head around, that this weekend is going to be yeah. the, the end of the road. Yeah, it is. Unfortunate. But you know what? They can take the Rams from St. Louis, but they can never take the greatest show on turf from St. Louis. That's exactly right. That will always be our team. As much as the league hates to put St. Louis on NFL Network, they have no choice. Yeah. (laughs) And the L.A. Rams can try to claim them as much as Mm -hmm. they want to. They're not going to happen. Anybody who's realistic knows. I mean, Kevin Demoff wasn't at any of those games, right? I don't believe so. I don't think he was. I think he might have been running a an arena league team or something at the, that time. Hmm. You know what I'm sick of, Randy? What are you sick of? Sandy Alcantara's dominance. Oh, you better get used to that. Oh, on display again last night. Um, he tossed his Major League Baseball leading third complete game of the season in a 3 nothing shutout of the Reds. Get this, Randy. A couple stats for you on our boy Sandy. Including the complete game shutout yesterday, Sandy Alcantara now has four starts this season with nine innings pitched. That's more such starts than any other team in Major League Baseball. Wow. Team in Major League Baseball. Oh, and by the way, he also leads all National League starters in ERA, 1.88, and MLB pitchers in innings pitched, 158 and a third. Wow. He's awesome. He's awesome. Okay, quick take it or leave it then. Okay. Take it or leave it. You would take Sandy Alcantara, but you have to give back the Cardinals stealing Adam Wainwright from Atlanta. I'm going to leave it. I'm never giving Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright is my cold, dead hands guy. Okay. You will have to pry Adam Wainwright from my cold, dead hands. Um, But, man, am I sick of Sandy Alcantara being so good. Um, You think Atlanta's sick of Adam being so good? I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm... as you mentioned in the break, I'm sure Arizona is sick of watching Paul Goldschmidt yeah, be, be MVP, Paul Goldschmidt. But gosh, anytime he gets the ball, I'm like, here we go again. Guy's filthy. And I don't sucks. Kn- I, I don't know. And this is really, it's 2020 hindsight. And I believe it was the, here, here's what I think happened. I think you'll, you'll hate this. I think the Marlins wanted Flaherty and the Cardinals said no. <laughs> But at that time, yeah. yeah, we would have been going crazy in St. Louis if they would have given up Jack Flaherty. Yeah, but 2020 hindsight, of right? Of course, of course. Yep. All right, what do we got on the text line, Matthew? Sick of it. 
Sick of it. Sick of the Cardinals trading away high energy players. Arosarena, Sosa, now Harrison Bader, all super energy players are gone and off the Cardinals, and they're betting on a paper tiger in Tyler O'Neill. It's not going to be the uh, most joyful group. They'll have fun and they'll they'll win, but it's not a young group that's going to play with a ton of joy. Yeah, once Wayno, Yachty, and Albert are gone. Who we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. Who's the the big personality and or face of the team? I know Goldie and Arenado are the stars, mm-hmm. but they're not the personality. They're not going to. Paul Goldschmidt is not going to come on with us every week and do what Adam Wainwright does and talk about music and. I, I mean, everything that Adam talks mm-hmm. about with us that's non-sports related. And it's not that Goldie doesn't have it in him, but I just don't think he has the desire exactly, to do that. right. And that's fine. But, I mean, Harrison Bader was that guy in the next generation. So who's that guy now? Jordan Walker. I, we've spoken to him. I'm a huge fan. He's got a great personality. But that's a lot to put on a young guy who's going to have to, find his way just from a game standpoint to also be the personality and face of the franchise that early on to me that seems like a role that he will grow into i'm i'm talking about next year year. specifically if i could get the word out yeah good luck specifically uh no i was saying good luck to have that guy (laughs) no you're gonna be fine uh i don't know who it's gonna be michelle i really don't brendan donovan donny baseball I don't, he, I don't. I don't. Th- I think he'll still wind up being probably a utility guy. I was gonna say I don't know if he'll play enough to be that guy. Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Maybe it's our old friend TBD. That makes all the sense in the world. Maybe they'll go out and acquire yeah. someone in the off season yeah. that will be that that guy. Yeah, but the texture is one hundred percent right. The the joy. Uh, it, it's not that it's a joyless team, but the visible little kid playing baseball joy is not there with this club right now. You know who could have brought a lot of that to this team? Juan Soto. Yeah, he absolutely would have. That would have been great. To Michelle's point about Wayno, though, if you when you hear the new uh, Wednesdays with Wayno promo on the station, you'll hear a topic that is not baseball related because I love it when he talks about things that aren't baseball related. Yeah. Again, He's the best. The mustache people telling you to have a mustache are not your friend. I'm sick of being disappointed at trade deadlines. That's from Cottleville Chris. Sick of what? I'm He's sorry. sick of being disappointed at trade deadlines. Yeah, well... This has been a super duper rough stretch for St. Louis sports fans. Mm-hmm. Sports fans. David Perron gone. Matthew Kachuk to Florida. Juan Soto not a Cardinal. Harrison Bader, you're going to see him making spectacular catches. I'm sure in the postseason wearing pinstripes. It's going to be rough. Mm-hmm. Look at it this way: you're playing the Cubs, and the Blues are going to play the Blackhawks. So we have geographic rivals. That were way better than that have oh. both tanked in a big market. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? That's a fun thing to think about. I like yeah, that. that's true. That's true. But I don't think using the Cubs as a barometer for your success and or joy I'm just saying is going to be enough because usually they're pretty helpless. Well, it, okay, let's completely look at useless way, by September. Do you like you? Cubs? Do you like making the playoffs? I personally love making the playoffs. Well, then that should bring some a level of happiness to you. True. But I'm just saying, collectively, it's been a rough mm-hmm. couple of weeks for us. I want to clear out and give uh, Randy's reaction to the ISO on this one. I'm sick of Cardinal fans thinking we are the best of the best. We won titles in the 40s and the 60s. We have three championships in the last 60 years. This is not a this is not a top tier caliber franchise. Hmm. Well, 
then everybody else in baseball is wrong. That's. Uh, it's not a top tier caliber franchise. Then why are two of the greatest players in the game, and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, why were they desperate to get here? Hey, what? Why have the Cardinals been the model? Who was the? first person that hired an analytics department. It was Bill DeWitt when he brought in Jeff Luno. Why did the Dodgers, who I think we can all agree are a reasonably dominant franchise right now. I would say so. Why eight, nine years ago when the new ownership and the new leadership of the Dodgers took over, did their president stand in their dugout and point over to the Cardinals dugout and say, that's our model right there. And then they have exactly done what the Cardinals have done over the years. Developed a bunch of young kids and then supplemented with veterans around them. You know what it sounds like, Randy? Hmm. Sounds like the Cardinals need to once again change the model. Because it sounds like they were at the forefront of Mm -hmm. a lot of things. And that has allowed them to continue having organizational success because they changed the game, they have success, and then everyone else has to catch up to them. And maybe what they need to do is follow the model and finish in last place for four or five years. No, they need to change the model. Okay. Whatever, whatever the new thing is, they need to find they it. They need to, to be the new thing. I would suggest that, that if, if you don't like this franchise, then pick any other franchise in the National League Central. Pick any other franchise in a like-sized market and follow them if you don't think that this franchise is very good. Yeah, do you think you'd enjoy being a Cincinnati Reds fan? Reds, Oldest Pirates, you know? Twins, Brewers. Brewers still haven't won a World Series yet. Nope. Uh, So I think sometimes, we've said it before, there's a little bit of uh, spoiled nature here. But Brewers fans have the Packers. That's right, they do. And the Packers have the same standards that the Cardinals do. It's different. And Pirate fans have the Steelers. Exactly. So they, they put all of their expectations and feelings of disappointment that those expectations aren't met when they win a championship into their football teams the way that we do with the Cardinals. And knowing several Steeler fans that really don't get it because they haven't won a Super Bowl since 2008 and by the way the Packers haven't won since 2010. Right. They feel the same way because they haven't won a championship and it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday. People being foolish enough to understand that winning a championship is easy. The best sports radio of the year may be in New York if the Yankees don't win the World Series. Oh, yeah. They haven't won in a hot minute Mm -hmm. either. And with a team this good, they're expected to win. Can you imagine what Yankees fans will be saying if they don't win? Yeah, they'll be angry. They'll be super angry. You think they have the ability to be angry in San Diego if the Padres don't? I... If I lived in San Diego, I wouldn't be mad a day in my life. You be angry. No. Me, me either. I'm, I'm with you. Think about how we took the Rams leaving. Mm-hmm. In San Diego, it was kind of like, oh, bummer, dude. Yeah. Should right. we go surfing? Totally. Yeah. And they just figured out that maybe we should file a lawsuit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we should file a lawsuit. Bro, what? Yeah. Lawsuit? Greg Amsinger, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Twelve fifteen with the first game today, 645 with the second game. And watching all of it will be the great Greg Amzinger, lead anchor for MLB Network, who's with us now. On the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? 
I'm doing great. It was a flurry of activity a couple of days ago. The trade deadline, they gave me the day off yesterday. Played 36 holes of golf <laughs> very poorly. <laughs> poorly. Played 36 holes of golf. But, yeah, I, I'm recharged and I'm ready for the uh, second half sprint. Should be fun. Hey, what do you think of the two Cardinal acquisitions? Actually, three, Jordan Montgomery, Jose Quintana, and Chris Stratton. I liked the plan B aspect of this. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate as to how intense this was on the Cardinals' side of trying to acquire Juan Soto. Um, my good friend Dan O'Dowd, former GM of the Rockies, according to people he talked to, uh, A.J. Preller was basically negotiating against himself. That, that, that's coming from my guy Dan O'Dowd, and that the Cardinals weren't as intensely involved in these Soto talks. I have a hard time believing that. I, I just do with the criteria that Mike Rizzo was looking for and how the Cardinals checked any of those boxes, more so in my opinion than the package that the Padres gave uh, to get uh, Juan Soto. But, you know, look, they had to improve in some category of their team, and it would be awesome to have a left-handed bat with a ton of thunder to go between Arenado and Goldschmidt. I mean, that is a dream scenario, even if it's for just two and a half years. That's just a special talent. But if you can't get that guy, uh, there wasn't another position player that I felt moved the needle for this team uh, offensively. So what they did was commit to another area that they were lacking. And I think you're going to see a lot from Jordan Montgomery. Jose Quintana is what he is. Um, he's going to try to paint the corners. He's not overpowering you. But, man, Jordan Montgomery, when you pitch your entire career in two places, first in college baseball, the SEC, and the big leagues with the New York Yankees and the Bronx, pressure doesn't matter to you. He he is ready to walk into this team, into this clubhouse for one year. I get it. It's a rental. But you're talking a 6'6", six, 228-pound six, specimen of a left-hand pitcher. You're going to be impressed with this guy. He's going to help the Cardinals down the stretch. He wasn't going to start a playoff game for the New York Yankees now that they got Frankie Montas. So it was it was a need for the Yankees. They need a center fielder, a guy that can help the best defensive team in baseball get better, and that's Harrison Bader. And the Cardinals needed a short-fire 6-7 inning winner, and they got that in Jordan Montgomery. Greg, let's stay in the NL Central. What was more of a head-scratcher for you, the Brewer, the division-leading Brewers dealing Josh Hader at the deadline or the Cubs hanging on to Happ and Contreras? Uh, I think the Happ and Contreras stuff um, goes back to the word on the street regarding how difficult it is for these two guys to coexist with the front office. I mean, Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ have both uh, been disgruntled players for a while and at different portions of their time on the north side of Chicago. When that gets out there and other front office executives know that they kind of have a pain in the butt on their hands they will acquire this guy, I think Wilson Contreras is one of the most talented catchers in the game. I love watching him play. He's got great fire uh, and determination. He really loves to play. Ian Happ is having his best year, but you know, we've heard stories when he was sent down to make the team out of spring training and he openly complained to Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and was didn't really want to go to the minor leagues. And, and he's just he's lost a lot of joy for playing. And the optics of that will affect your trade stock. It, it just does. And they say that Whit Merrifield gets traded to Toronto and he's not vaccinated. So <laughs> you never know what to expect. But, but I will say this, the Brewers trading uh, Josh Hader, who I still, I know Edwin Diaz is having, an incredible year for the New York Mets. I still look at Josh Hader as the most dominant closer in the game. I think he is. Uh, 15.7K per nine is ridiculous. When Devin Williams doesn't want him to leave, and this is the guy that you 
believe will replace him in the ninth inning. We saw it happen last night. It wasn't a save situation, but he gives up a walk-off homer. Devin Williams is upset. Devin Williams, you need to have a conversation with Devin Williams. Hey, Devin, we're thinking about trading Josh Hader. Um, are you ready to be the ninth inning guy? And if he's like, no, then you don't Josh Hader. You're a first-place team. The psychology of athletes matters. And when you sit in your front office with your stat gurus and you're like, whoa, Devin Williams caper for nine is 15. We, I mean, we're eventually, we're not going to pay Josh Hader. Let's move him now. But wait a minute. We're in first place by three games. Is that going to affect the clubhouse? Ah, oh, you talking about this chemistry jargon. No, that stuff doesn't matter. Trade the guy while he's hot. I, I, it makes no sense to me why we don't consider the humans that are impacted by this stuff. This is Kendall Graveman 2.0 from last year. Remember Abraham Toro got traded playing against the Mariners, and then he walked into their clubhouse. All the Mariners are upset because they're in the mix for the playoffs. Kendall Graveman was their best reliever. He gets sent. This is, this is bigger than that. Josh Hader was the most valuable pitcher they had. I know Corbin Burns is a Cy Young Award winner, but he doesn't go deep in games, and he pitches once every fifth day. I'm bottom line. And if this team was going to win the World Series, the Brewers, they needed to hold on to the advantage they had over every other team in the National League. And that was the back end of their bullpen. Uh, Taylor Rogers is not Josh Hader. He's not. He's got 28 saves, but he does not have the stuff Hader has. I was blown away by it. It still doesn't make any sense to me. And I think you're going to see the Cardinals take advantage of the best closer in baseball now pitching in San Diego. All right, Greg, as much as we like the Cardinals here, the reality of the situation is you've got the Mets and the Braves and you've got the Dodgers and the Padres. Who comes out of those four teams and represents the National League in the World Series? I'm going to say something that's just a complete fanboy and not in the direction that you expect me to be fanboy. Uh, we need this, this experiment in San Diego to work. We meaning the entire sport. Uh, we are just drowning in the stat analytical advantage where let's have a young player who's got control of the year. Once he starts making money, trade him away, no matter if we're a good team or not. We want efficient money. We want a, a, our dollar per win needs to be down. Keep the payroll in the bottom 20% of the league. And we won't sell out Tropicana Field or the, or the Oakland Coliseum. But look at our record. We're so impressive. We're so much smarter than everybody. That has been winning. That has been winning. And if, it, if it's not that, then it's, oh, well, we had a good run. Let's dismantle our entire organization three years after we won the World Series. Bye-bye, Trey Turner. Bye-bye, Bryce Harper. Bye-bye, Max Scherzer. Bye-bye, everybody else, including Juan Soto and Josh Bell. That's the other plan that everyone thinks is so smart and works. Both of those plans stink for fans. They're not good. So I am rooting for the baseball version of Bosch, LeBron, and Dwayne Wade to work in Major League Baseball. This is the coolest thing. If you're a kid, and this is still a kid's sport, and we, a bunch of adults talk about it, but we want the sport to thrive with groundswell and excitement. The only way that happens is if kids can't wait to come home, put on MLB The Show, and see what Juan Soto looks like in a Padre uniform. And that's the team they're playing a season with. I want this to work in San Diego because I want this to be the new platform for front offices. Hey, go get the best players. Go get the best players. Put the best players on the field. We'll figure out how to pay them. We have a feeling that people will come and watch them play, buy their merchandise, pay for parking, buy an extra hot dog when they're at the game. That is the business model that I want to see baseball thrive with. No longer this economic brilliance of uh, really 
buy that. There's a sales rack over there. It's like $10 too expensive. That's not sexy for baseball. <laughs> buy the best jeans that fit your body the best. They might be pricey, but walk around in them. Baseball's been walking around with Walmart clothing for way too long, and I'm, I'm sorry if Walmart's a sponsor of the show. No, I no, do no. apologize. But Greg, my point is, no. this is what we need to do for baseball. Greg, Walmart's a cronky thing. Yeah, no. We're on board. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Immediately, Randy and I are like, no, Walmart, boo. Um, well, Greg, as one great uh, baseball announcer, I, I want to get your thoughts on the passing of legendary broadcaster Vin Scully. He was the voice of the sport, an absolute legend. And I'm sure at some point you either had an encounter with him or you have a great Vin Scully story that you can share with us. Well, listen, I obviously idolize Bob Costas. And um, Bob's impacted my career tremendously to see his um, memories of Vince Kelly yesterday. He was on High Heat with Lana Rizzo. It's a video that I'm sure all of you have seen. It's gone viral. I've known Bob for a long time. Uh, you guys both interacted with Bob for a long time. He, I've never seen him choke up on the air. Uh, and reciting his story on Vince Scully when his wife noticed him uh, with the Marine Corps band at the White House. Just look it up. Bob Costas is emotional talking about Vince Scully. Uh, it, it shows you the impact of not just a, a man, but um, the way he conducted his life. I'm, I'm good friends with Derek Hall. Uh, the CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, Derek Hall, before he became a leader of a, of a Major League Baseball organization, was a PR guy with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he works hand-in-hand with Vin Scully, was was one of his you know, confidants. Vin loved Derek Hall. And my favorite Vin Scully story doesn't impact me or broadcasting. It's just more a reflection of who Vin Scully is. I started this, this conversation this morning talking about I played 36 holes of golf poorly, and I am just a mental mess when I play terrible golf. So Derek Hall, this is years ago, is playing golf with Vin Scully, and they're playing in a match against two other people. I think it was like a member guest tournament. And Vin Scully um, misses a three-foot putt. Misses, it rolls in and out. Three-foot putt for the match. And Vin goes, oh, golly. And Derek goes, oh, golly. Vin, it's time to drop an F-bomb. And he throws his hat out <laughs> on the green. And he's like, oh, golly. Come on, Vin. You've got to be human. And he goes, it's that was a fun round of golf. <laughs> he's just, he was different than the rest of us. He was just different. And he, there will never be another one like him. And I said this about great players like Albert Pujols and Goldschmidt and Arenado. I don't care what the numbers say. Treat them differently. Don't pinch it for Albert Pujols late in the game when he's got two hits already. He's a Hall of Famer. Can we please treat Hall of Famers differently? Because they are. I love the fact that Vince Scully was treated differently. He was in the booth by himself with the Dodgers. Not because that's what he wanted. I, I want the mic to myself. No, this is the voice we all wanted to listen to. This is the only voice we wanted to listen to when it came to Dodger baseball. He was treated the way he was meant to be treated, which is a, not just a Hall of Fame broadcaster, but a special human being, a special human being that we will never see again. Great stuff, Greg Amsinger. Always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And we'll, of course, be tuned in to MLB Network and all the great offerings, including MLB Tonight, which you helm every night with great aplomb.
Uh, well, that's beautifully said. Yes, I'll be on at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, my dear friend. I'll see you guys on TV. You bet. See you later. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 657804. Take it or leave it on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN and Michelle in 1996 the Cardinals were a game away from joining the Yankees in the World Series for the first time since 1964 and in 2006 the Cardinals had the opportunity to play the Yankees and the Yankees just couldn't get over the hump against the Detroit Tigers take it or leave it in the next three years the Cardinals and Yankees meet in the World Series for the first time since 1964 oh good one ah I I don't have any doubts that the Yankees will be in the World Series, if not this year, within the next three years. It's can the Cardinals get through a loaded National League mm-hmm. to get there? Um, you know what? I'm going to take it because I think Jordan Walker is going to come up next year and be a huge catalyst for the team. And it is pretty remarkable when you think about the Yankees not having been in a World Series since 09. It's ridiculous. That they missed an entire decade. And here we are complaining in St. Louis. Oh, they're complaining in New York, too. Big time. <laughs> but I'm sure they're complaining more. Right. Well, they've got 27. They they literally did make it look easy. They did. No doubt. Um, so, Randy, we talked a little bit about our Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. and their pursuit of Tom Brady. How it didn't work out for them. And, you know, they're dealing with some consequences, some fines, some draft pick loss, losses. It's a big deal down in South Beach. But take it or leave it. After their failed pursuit of Deshaun Watson, their now public failed pursuit of Tom Brady, and the comments that came out last year about Tua, take it or leave it. The Dolphins have proved with their actions that Tua was not their first choice. I'm going to take that, which is kind of weird because the entire concept that Stephen Ross had of tanking, which he wanted to do. Tank for Tua. Tank for Tua. So... It is kind of strange that Tua, clearly for the last couple of years, has not been their first choice. I'll take it 100%. I feel badly for him because even though the Tom Brady stuff preceded him or the initial conversations preceded him, now if he doesn't have success, he's already got enough pressure on him because it's the time in his career for him to thrive and they put all the weapons around him and he's out of excuses in time. If he does fail in any way, he's going to be compared to Tom Brady now. Even Mm -hmm. though it's not linear and he should not be in that same conversation, that's what's going to happen because that's what sports fans do. And if he's not good and they're not good, their owner just cost him their first-round draft choice. (laughs) (laughs) So who who do they get to replace him? Well, not somebody in the first round of the draft next year. I sometimes get frustrated, Randy, that the listeners didn't choose the Buffalo Bills yeah, to be well, the official team can, of Carrick and Smallman. We can redo this. If if you get 
So we'd have to leave the Patriots out of it. We'd have to leave the Dolphins out of it. If your team has been docked a first-round draft choice because of malfeasance by your owner, then you could just be eliminated from the competition. But we could redo it. Think about this. You guys have so much experience in watching a team with a noodle-armed quarterback and an offensive line that can't protect them as well as they should. You have. You guys are baked into this stuff. You're 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 made into this. You're perfect fans for the Dolphins. And bad ownership. And bad- <laughs> hey. You know what this is called? Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, yeah, it is, right? We we found ourselves in yet another situation where we're sympathizing with so our captor. Perhaps our play then, if we want to get out from under the Dolphins, is just to go to the team that we should have had in the first place, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Absolutely not. No. I mean, if you want to get no. in and, and people don't, if you want to make sure that you aren't a bandwagon jumper, that's the franchise to go to. I have zero interest in cheering for the Jacksonville Jaguars. No disrespect to our buddy Tony Patrico, huge Jags fan. Mm-hmm. Don't want to go down that road. Not going there. Okay. I. What were our final four teams? It was the Bears. Packers, it was the Dolphins, Packers, and Bills. Chiefs. Or, or the was Chiefs. It, maybe it wasn't. No, the I Packers know the Bills were, were in there. No, maybe the Chiefs were not then. I don't think the Chiefs were because we have enough yeah. Chiefs fans in these right. hallways. Right. Man, I wish we would have gotten the Bills. How fun would it be to be a Bills fan right now? Josh Allen, a lot of good stuff going on there. Good, good coaches. Bills Mafia. Yeah. Oh, Bills, we could be jumping through tables, and instead awesome. we're talking about losing draft picks. It's not great. In the same division as the Bills, too. Unreal. By the way. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Bader goes from an everyday center fielder for the Cardinals to an off the bench defensive late inning glove for the Yankees. I will say that for the rest of this year, I'll take that. Because of the foot? Right. And next year, Aaron Judge won't be there. Uh-huh. On a complete flip side, Harrison Bader becomes a 2020 player with the Yankees in 2023. Leave it. He's not hitting 20 home runs in that ballpark. Right-handed hitter. That right-handed hitter in that ballpark. He's not exactly standard. Judge isn't hitting 20 home runs. I think that he will be or continue to be an elite defender. Yeah. And he's a nice player. He's a, he's a good winning player. He's a guy that at the top end is probably going to have a maybe a 720, 750 OPS, hit two, 265, 270 for you. And he, he can run and, and bring energy on the bases if his foot is okay. Think about what it's like for a player on deadline day. You don't know if you're in discussions, you don't know where you're going, and you get the notification that you've been traded. Most of the time for players, if you're on a team like the Cardinals, you're going somewhere that gives you less of a chance to win the World Series. And Harrison Bader gets the call that not only is he going home, he's going to a team that gives him a better chance of winning World well, Series. He was stunned. And we'll talk to John Moselock at 10 o'clock. But he was stunned. And so was Jordan Montgomery. Yes. Mo, Mo used the term shell-shocked when Montgomery was told that he was not going to be a Yankee and was going to be a Cardinal. Thank you, Matthew. No problem, Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Which was the most disappointing for you among the Blues' recent losses? Not getting Kachuk, not getting Perron, or was it the Cardinals not getting Soto? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Eight oh 
7 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And it has been a disappointing couple of weeks, to say the least. Yeah. The Blues and all of us thought that uh, we were going to wind up with Matthew Kachuk. We called him future blue Matthew mm-hmm. Kachuk. I mean, Indeed. everybody thought that that was going to be the case. Yeah. He's now a member of the Florida Panthers. Yeah, we missed we on that one. We thought the Blues would keep David Prom. We called him... David Perron of the St. Louis Blues. He's yeah. now a Detroit Red Wing. Missed on that one, too. Missed on that one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people thought that the Cardinals would be in on and get Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals. So yeah. not getting him for the price that the Cardinals wanted to pay is somewhat disappointing. Yeah, three strikes, you're out. Yeah, so, so 65780, disappointing uh, run for your St. Louis sports fan. So what's number one on your list? They're all disappointing in their own ways. And they all hurt differently. But when I have these three options of disappointment on the table, there's one that stands out to me. When it comes to Matthew Kachuk, yes, the Blues were in on him and he had interest in coming to St. Louis. He would have been a perfect St. Louis Blue. But you can't control what Florida is going to offer for him. And you can't control that they had a better offer. The Blues weren't going to be able to match that. So while that stings rationally, I can understand it. And we can close that door and move on. When it comes to Juan Soto, transformative player, you're going to have to mortgage a lot of your future to get him for only two and a half years. And you don't know if he's going to stay. You don't know his appetite for staying. They went out and addressed a clear need in pitching. So mentally, I can rationally close that door. When it comes to DP57, I can't get over that one. Here's a guy who, for the right price that he was willing to compromise on, that was the heartbeat of your team and wanted to stay, you didn't even truly engage in serious negotiations with, and you let him go to Detroit. He wanted to stay badly. His representation made that clear. He made that clear. And you don't find a way to get it done. I think you're you're not as good of a team as you were last year without David Perron. Adding a piece like Matthew Kachuk would have been great, but you actively made yourself, I think, worse by not bringing back 57. That's the one that hurts the most for me. Now, we did a poll, and it was pretty interesting, the, the results, because people really wanted Juan Soto here in town, and people really wanted to get Matthew Kachuk. But 42.4%, Michelle, agree with you. They are more disappointed by the Blues not keeping Perron. 27% said Soto. 30.6% said Matthew Kachuk. To me, there's a couple of issues here. Number one, David Perron, you controlled the situation, and if you kept him, he could help you win. Mm -hmm. If you get Matthew Kachuk, the one counteroffer the Blues could have made to the Huberto and uh, Mackenzie Weger offer was to offer Justin Falk, Robert Thomas, and Tarasenko rather than offering, and I guess you th- could have thrown Scandella in there, but that kind of prevents you from winning rather yeah. than enhances your ability to win. And the same thing with Soto. If you give up what the Nationals want from for Soto, if you try to match the offer that San Diego gave up, that prevents the Cardinals from winning rather than enhances their chances of winning. And if you keep David Perron, then the the Blues' chances of winning, because you don't have to give up any assets to keep him around, are much greater. So I'm with you. I, I would have the the most disappointing thing for me is 
not seizing control of a situation to keep a guy that wanted to be here. And when I look at this poll, I'm not surprised by the results because we are a vessel for the fans every day. We get to hear from all sorts of people. So I think we have a pretty good finger on the pulse of what the St. Louis sports fan feels and wants, right? Mm -hmm. We're in a unique position and, and as far as that goes. I wonder if the Blues realize how beloved David Perron was. And I wonder if the Blues realize how disappointed Blues fans are that he's not here. I think so. This is an administration and ownership that watched David Backus walk out the door, that watched Alex Petrangelo walk out the door, that traded DJ Oshie. So they know the affinity that their fans have for certain players, but they feel like it's more important to play defense because that's the way they won the Stanley Cup. The choice was Nick Letty or David Perron. There was no and, it was only or. And so that's what they came to the conclusion of, is that we won with a good defense in 2019, and we didn't have a good enough defense without Nick Letty to try to take a shot at winning in, in 2023. That's the way I look at it. And they do have people that can score, what they're missing now is that leadership and that spirit that David Perron and their pride that David Perron brought to that room, much like Bob Plager did for so many years as a member of the Blues organization. And with with the other two situations, you had certainly some modicum of control, but you also can't control what other teams are offering. When it comes to David Perron, you're firmly in the driver's seat. If you wanted to keep him, you knew that it was a done deal. You knew that he very badly wanted to remain a member of the St. Louis Blues and that if it came down to it and you likely went to David and his representation and said, this is the only number that we can offer you. And maybe they did. Maybe they did. And what David shared with us was only a portion of the story. We weren't in those phone calls. But I, I would imagine based on the conversation that we had with him, and knowing his desire to remain here, that if they were 100% transparent with him, this is the only number that we can offer you financially to get you to stay, and we hope that you take it, I wonder if he would have considered it. I have to believe that he would have considered it. I have to believe that he would have, too. And, Michelle, Army doesn't make many mistakes. I think anybody who's paying attention, if you're rational about it, you can say, okay, he's the, the good has far outweighed the bad with the transactions that Doug Armstrong has made the one that has bitten him for several years and will for the next several years it'll continue to do so is the signing of Marco Scandella mm -hmm. they thought he was better he army thought Scandella was better than he really was and yes it's only 3.275 million through 2324 but the return on investment is very poor for Marco Scandella that's why they offered him in the trade to Calgary because they want to get rid of that contract and that 3.275 would have gone a long way to being able to keep uh David Perron. Yeah. And the other part of it is if Marco Scandella is playing up to the contract, you never have to trade for Nick Letty and you don't have to resign Nick Letty. Great so point. that that contract is really an albatross for the Blues. I w and this is a smaller move, but I wonder if Army could go back in time if he would have brought Pat Maroon back as well. I would think so because they kept Robbie Fabry yep. rather than Maroon and Maroon signed for 750 and Fabry got 900 that year. Yeah, th I don't think there's any doubt that if he could go back in time, he would he would keep them. And if the Blues could go back in time, They'd probably keep Doug Gilmore, too. 
Should we get to some texts? Let's they're, do it. They're Let's do rolling it. in. From the 817, Kachuk is what hurts the most. Thomas Thomas dishing assists to Kachuk until 2030 would have been a beautiful thing to see. And I'll, I'll go back to what I said. If you get Kachuk, if you give up what Calgary is going to want, you don't have Robert Thomas. He goes to Calgary in that deal. Yeah. Yikes. From the 314, Soto is number one because the Cardinals are currently playing. When hockey season comes around, it'll definitely be the other two. Thank goodness Kachuk wound up in the Eastern Conference. Oh, gosh. And you only have to see him come to town once a year. From the 618, Kachuk is the most disappointing one simply because getting him would have come with the eight-year contract. Soto would have only been two and a half years. That's true. You would have had him for a long time. That's true. Uh, the 385 says it's hard to be disappointed in somebody that you had no faith in to begin with. So the Soto thing is not first on my list. I agree with Michelle and Randy. David Perron should have been a blue, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be. It's the only situation where the franchise had reasonable control of the situation. Yeah. He's still shocked that he's not a blue. Yeah, right. Th- that's how much we all thought. David Perron included that he would be back is that he still weeks later is shocked that he's not yeah. a blow. Um, let's see. There's so many coming in. Let me scroll down here. Randy from the three, one, four. It's not Perron for me. He's one concussion away from never playing again. And out of the nine twenty goal scorers, who else would you have been okay with losing? If not Perron? Well, that's it, it came down to Perron and Letty and I don't think the Blues were in a position where they wanted to trade one of their 20-goal scorers. They love Buchnevich. They really like what Cairo brings to the table. They aren't trading Ryan O'Reilly. They aren't trading Braden Shen. So I, I don't think that was the question. I, I think that it was just that this guy was a free agent and the Blues did have control of the cap situation with him. From the 636, Perron was the most disappointing. He brought energy and production, and he's probably on the one of the best short-term deals in the NHL. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. By the way, David Perron has had concussions in the past, mm-hmm. so he is susceptible. But isn't every hockey player one concussion away from his career ending? No doubt. <laughs> that's what I thought. Most athletes are. Yeah, right. <laughs> from the 636, last one, it's got to be Perron. The guy gave everything to the organization, gave everything to be here, and got bleeped on by the Blues. Yeah, it does, it's, it's not a great look, if indeed what David Perron... His representatives have told him is accurate that if the Blues did not make a concrete offer, a legitimate legitimate offer to him between the end of the season and the time he left, that is not a good look. But the Blues, to their credit, they haven't said anything and they aren't going to say anything about this situation. They want to maintain a decent relationship with David Perron. And what does it benefit them to talk about the situation? Because they don't want to trash him publicly, even though they probably have a different version of how this all went down. It's it's the best thing for the Blues to close that book and focus on the team that they have. That's Michelle. I'm Randy Moore. Coming up as we roll on, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Word came down yesterday that multiple golfers from the Live League have filed a, uh, an antitrust so- lawsuit against the PGA Tour, and they're saying that the PGA has violated antitrust law in not allowing them to participate in PGA Tour events. Now, there are a couple of 
parts of this that are intriguing, Michelle. Number one, antitrust is based on lack of competition. And these players all went to a competitor that's paying them a whole lot more money than they were getting on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't understand how they can get, how, how they can say that the PGA Tour has an unfair monopoly when the tour that they're playing on has way more money and is paying them way more. That doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense to me. And then the other part of this is that as these players go through the process of trying to play in majors and in Ryder Cups, they're saying that the PGA Tour is colluding against them, yet we haven't had a situation yet where one of them has been prevented from playing in a major. Yeah, a lot of this is confusing to me, and I would especially think that these golfers, given the backlash that they've gotten for joining Liv, would want to go over there, collect their money, and kind of lie low. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really yeah. surprised that they would want to challenge the PGA like this or or bring this to light, give more of a a reason to put their names in the headlines for doing this. But clearly, this is all part of their conversations with Liv, and it just seems like they're trying to take the PGA out, PGA out outright so that Liv can be the number one destination for golf. And one of the things that several of the members of the PGA Tour, Billy Horschel, Justin Thomas, said last night was, Hey, essentially, these players are suing us. They didn't. We are the PGA Tour. The the players are the PGA Tour. They had the opportunity to play here, and they didn't want it. I don't know why, Michelle, now, especially with all of the comments that Phil Mickelson made, why would he want to come back and play for those people? If he made the cut comments that he did about the PGA Tour, about how selfish they were and how greedy they were, and he found a better alternative, why would he want to bother to come back and play on the PGA Tour as well? Why wouldn't you just resign your card? Yeah, right. If you feel that strongly about it. Yeah, if you're so against them in the way that they treated you, why didn't you just resign? So the players on the Live Tour, essentially, to use an old term, they want to have their cake and to eat it too. But one of the problems that they'll run into is that legally, from what I understand, in talking to attorneys last night, the PGA Tour does not have to allow anybody to play on their tour. They can hire, essentially, who they want to play on their tour. They don't have to have Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka playing on their tour if they don't want to. This was already really divisive and... Uh, polarizing within the golf world and this action to sue the PGA just further creates that divide because I I can imagine there's a lot of guys on tour that were buddies or that had different relationships that this has been affected by them certain guys going over to live and that that crater just continues to grow and and in one way randy i think it is kind of good for golf because we're mm-hmm. constantly talking, talking about, about golf yeah. and sports is always better when there's a villain and now because of live we have a whole crop of villains that has popped up in golf that gives people who might be fringe viewers a reason to tune in and maybe not cheer for these guys but i don't know what live thinks the end game is here because i don't think they're going to win this lawsuit and they're they're spending billions of dollars to bring these golfers over and they're getting really no return on investment because no one's really watching this product to begin with. And if they think suing the PGA and further infecting that relationship is going to bring more people over to their side or more viewers over to their side, I think they're sadly mistaken. Yeah, I 
I thought it was interesting that one of the complaints in the lawsuit was that the masters wouldn't allow Greg Norman to provide them a vision of what Liv's business plan is. Well, is there a business plan? Because we haven't seen it yet. They're showing their games on YouTube before 60,000 people. They're selling their tickets for a dollar and two dollars a piece. There isn't a tremendous amount of promotion. There isn't a tremendous amount of coverage. I wonder what the business plan is aside from sports washing by the the Saudi government. Aside from that, what are they getting out of it? Are they really going in the long term? Is is the Saudi investment fund going to profit financially from this? It really seems like there wasn't a great amount of thought put into the entirety of the plan. It seems as if the plan was, let's create a golf league. Let's spend all of this money to lure some big name golfers over here. And then what? Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of in the and then what stage of this operation. Really quickly, though, Randy, uh, speaking of golf, Max Homa, great golfer. I saw him tweet this last night. You mentioned that they want to have their cake and eat it, too. Mm -hmm. Max Homa tweeted this. Full transparency here, but I don't really understand have my cake and eat it, too, as a saying. I understand what it means, but if I have a cake, if I have a cake, I'm eating it, especially the ice cream based ones. Hashtag just my thoughts. Agree with Max 100%. Me too. And I wonder if this is kind of a a child thing. So, okay, there's the birthday cake, but you can't eat it too yet. But the entire purpose of having a cake is to eat it. Ultimately, it is. So why would you have a cake and eat it too? It should be have a cake and not eat it. it. It doesn't, it makes no sense. It does not. We need to come up with a better term. And I wonder how this became so universally accepted as a saying. We'll have to Google that. I think we need to get research on that during the commercial break because... Let's work on the... Get the staff in here. It just... It makes no sense. And to Max Homa's point, if you have an ice cream-based cake, if you have an ice cream cake, there's no way you're not eating it. You have to. It'll melt otherwise. It will melt. Yeah. Hey, I want to make one other point as well, and that is that the PGA Tour bylaws seem pretty clear. I don't know that you can walk into a courtroom... Kind of like the NFL relocation guidelines that the NFL didn't abide by. All the PGA Tour has to say is, hey, we've got guidelines here, and those guys didn't abide by them. At the end of the day, they didn't follow the rules of the tour, and because they didn't, we don't have to allow them to play on our tour. I think it'll be that simple to go before a judge and and show them the PGA Tour bylaws. I think it's pretty black and white. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that... Legally, they're just these guys and this league, the Live League, are just trying to be a thorn in the side of PGA and maybe trying to, like you said, promote themselves so that they can. Be, this can be part of their business plan. Okay, really quickly before we go, a lot of people weighing in on have your cake and eat it too. Uh, the six one eight says, Randy and Michelle, once you eat the cake, you no longer have it, and that's what it means. Yeah, the original phrase is from the 1600s in England, and it got turned around. It used to be, you can't eat your cake and have it too. Because that would make sense. You can't eat the cake and then also still have it in your hands. And so we turned it around, and now it makes less sense the way we say it. You may say it that way, the old English way, makes a lot of sense to me. Reasonable. Okay. Well, why did we switch it up? That was stupid. It's, um, it's, we Ameri- make everything it's American work. English. We, we bastardized it. Stupid Americans. We make everything <laughs> worse. Gosh. Yeah. What's wrong with us? We're just a mess. So what was it? You can't have it too. That makes all the sense in the world. You yeah. can't eat your cake and have it too. Is today the day we start a revolution to get the phrase back kind to where it, it belongs? Yep. It is. You can't eat your cake and have it too, Liv.
I like it. I like it too because apparently in the original book it's would yao would yao eat your cake, <laughs> and I just like when you can't. I like it when you turn it around like English like that. It's, it sounds a lot more formal. I like it. Hey, the fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the fight on this Friday Eve on Carricker and Smallman. Randy won yesterday. Did he get a jack yesterday? He did indeed hit the jack. He did yeah, indeed. Yeah, he, he got a jack. Yeah, hit it was. It was. It was a casual one too. It was one he just like breezed through all four. Told us a story on one of them. Like walk us through the answer. Just totally. a classic one. Classic mega mind. Austin's gonna try to take him down today. He's joining us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Austin. How you doing? I'm good, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I hope that you're staying dry and safe. Trying to. Good, Austin. Where are you from? Uh, Wildwood. From Wildwood. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks for playing and good luck today. Thanks. Question number one for Austin. Vin Scully's first professional radio assignment was with which sport? Was it Major League Baseball, ABA Basketball, or NCAA College Football? Sorry, Michelle, you cut out. I didn't hear the question. Sure. Let's start from the top. Vin Scully's first professional radio assignment was which sport? Was for which sport? Major League Baseball, ABA Basketball, or NCAA College Football? I'm going to say ABA Basketball. Since 1970, only one pitcher has posted multiple triple crown winning seasons. Who was it? Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, or Randy Johnson? <laughs> Those would have been my three guesses. Um, let's see. I, I mean, Roger Clemens has more Cy Youngs than anybody. Let's say him. I like the way you came you to that for- conclusion, Austin. I, li- I appreciate That was very mega mind of you. I love that. Question number three. The Washington Redskins won three Super Bowls across nine seasons with three different starting quarterbacks two of which, Mark Rippon and Doug Williams, won Super Bowl MVP. Who won the third? Was it Timmy Smith, Art Monk, or John Riggins? Uh, John Riggins. And on this day in 2007, this AL slugger became the youngest player to reach the 500 home run mark at just 32 years old. Was that Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez, or Alex Rodriguez? Must be something in the water in Wildwood. (laughs) Waving in, Randy. Are you still living in Wildwood, Austin? I do, yeah. You know, I've never been out to Wildwood, which is shame on me, because I have a lot of friends that live out there. People that have migrated to Wildwood, and they love it there. It's a beautiful place. It is. I'll have to make my way out to Wildwood. I'll put it on my list. Randy, say good morning to Austin, who's from Wildwood and currently still resides in Wildwood. Austin, good morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Randy. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Are you ready, Megamind? Ready. 
Now, tomorrow, are we doing the fight tomorrow? Yes. Because we will be doing it's a special... On, it's on the list. Hall of Fame. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't know if because we were doing um, so many great things to honor Dick Vermeer, because we'll be live in Canton tomorrow, if this might be your last crack at it this week. But we'll have it tomorrow. I wonder what the Would subjects like of the fight are going to be tomorrow. Yeah. If you like the greatest show on turf, maybe submit yeah. your name. Well, maybe it's Austin. <laughs> maybe Austin will be competing against Randy tomorrow. Austin, I hope you like football. Me too. I do. Okay, great. Randy, are you ready? Ready. Question number one for Randy. Vin Scully's first professional radio assignment was for which sport? Professional. I He went to Fordham, and he did college football there, and I think he might have done college football for money. I'll go with uh, with college football. Since 1970, only one pitcher has posted multiple triple crown, triple crown winning seasons. Who was it? Since 1970. So this is leading the league in wins, strikeouts, and earned run average, correct? correct. Multiple of those. Well, it seems like it's going to be well, 1970. So you're not going to have Nolan Ryan in that mix. Gibby was past his prime. So really it's going to come down to three guys. And I think that rather than use the lifeline here, so I'm thinking Johnson, Verlander, Clemens, because I don't think Greg Maddox was a multiple strikeout leader. Johnson, Verlander, Clemens, and I'm just going to go with the Rocket because he had more strikeouts and more wins than any of those other guys. The Washington Redskins won three Super Bowls across nine seasons with three different starting quarterbacks, two of which, Mark Rippon and Doug Williams, won Super Bowl MVP. Who won the third? Who won the third Super Bowl? MVP. John Riggins did against Miami. On this day in 2007, this AL slugger became the youngest player to reach 500 home runs at just 32 years old. Who was it? On this date in 2007, yes, he was sir. 32. Okay. So Alex Rodriguez would be the logical guy. 9808. He didn't come up when he was 22, though. So who would have been a 22-year-old in 1997? 500 home runs at the age of 32. Didn't play much minor league baseball. Clearly. Um, I'm just trying to do the uh, the math here. So Ooh, I was told there'd be no math. Yeah, I know. It's got to be A-Rod. I can't imagine that it would be anybody else. He had the lifeline on the table, decided not to use it. What a gamble by Megamind, because it came down to the final question. Hmm. Ooh, did he choose correctly? Rocky, I'll ring the bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Austin, you got three correct. I thought we were going to talk to you tomorrow, and then Randy, he came out with it on number four, and he got the jack. I'm so sorry, buddy. That's okay. If you listen to Megamind, you can always feel good. That's true. That's true. You're one of many, Austin. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great day, and be safe out there. Thanks, guys.
Vince Scully's first professional radio assignment was for NCAA college football. It was actually Maryland football. Mm. Maryland football. Since 1970, only one pitcher has posted multiple Triple Crown winning seasons, and it was Roger Clemens, 97 and 98. Makes sense. Pretty good. Yeah, he was. The Washington Redskins won three Super Bowls across nine seasons with three different starting quarterbacks. Mark Rippon, Doug Williams, and John Riggins all won Super Bowl MVP. Tim Riggins, one of the <laughs> underrated mm-hmm. football Riggins also out there. Also a fantastic fullback who started getting the toe in the rock a little bit. That's right. So Texas forever, baby. Quick question. Greatest John Riggins thing that he won the Super Bowl MVP or that after Sandra Day O'Connor was named the first Supreme Court justice, was at an event with her and drunkenly said, loosen up, Sandy baby. <laughs> Well, you know what? <laughs> he said to the first ever female Supreme Court justice in plug. the United States history, loosen up Sandy, baby. That's you know what, what he said. We've got to somehow what a champion. make that a part of the show. Do we have audio on that? Or is this I don't just think a, there's audio, no. So but this it's is legendary. just a legend. Yeah. Loosen up Sandy, baby. Well, I, I don't think anybody at the table, there were multiple reports from the table that uh, he did do that Ugh, reason 1732 i wish sandy alcantara was still in town because we could use that somehow oh with him. yeah um you know what i'm gonna go with super bowl mvp just because i think it's harder to secure a super bowl mvp than it is to drunkenly embarrass yourself <laughs> that's true yeah yeah i think people are doing that right now um on this day in 2007 actually maybe he didn't embarrass himself Maybe they struck up a conversation and had a great time. Who knows? On this day in 2007, this American League slugger became the youngest player to reach 500 home runs, and he did it at just 32 years old. That was Alex Rodriguez. There we go. But you already knew this, Randy, because you got all four correct. Yeah. Uh, that is the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Yadier Molina is back, but Benji has been here the whole time. We love Benji, and he's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Heading in to, to make it 5-4. There goes Benji again to center field. Now, could this be a triple? Come on. Benji, get going, kiddo. You Come got on, the, you got the cycle, on, big guy. Get there. Get there. Get there. He did it. <laughs> It doesn't get any better than that unless you have Benji Molina on your radio show the day the Cardinals are getting ready to play a doubleheader. Cardinal Spanish language broadcaster, the analyst with Polo Asensio, Benji Molina, joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Good morning, Benji. How are you doing? Well, I'm so pumped up right now after hearing that triple. You know, it took a while. It took me like five minutes to get to third. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, thank you guys for having me in the show, man. And and lady. And lady. Yes, Benji, it's so great to chat with you, and we're pumped up to have you. Uh, but let's talk about the trade deadline. What do you think about the moves that John Moselak did to fortify this Cardinals pitching staff? Um, For some people, it's probably heartbreaking because these were kids that they were very attached to the fan base here. Uh, but if you want to see it as a as a baseball move, I think he addressed the uh, the issue, which it was starting pitching. We have him Flaherty out, and uh, you know having uh, Stephen Matz out uh, in injury. So 
I think that's what they address. I mean, they said it. That's what they were going to do. They, they didn't say anything else. Uh, they just said they want to address what was certain. So I think that that's what they did. Oh, the other thing is that obviously they they hurt the fan base because of the the Bader trade, uh, Sosa. They were were guys that you know were were fan fan favorites here in St. Louis. Hey Benji, how does your brother Yachty help guys get better? Whether it's veteran guys like Montgomery or Quintana that are coming in, or young pitchers like Palante and Junior Fernandez, how does Yachty help guys get better? Um, I, I think I think it's uh, the confidence and and the uh, the trust that Yadi has created over the years, uh, calling games and and helping the team win games, uh, handling the pitching. I think that that helps so much. So when a pitcher comes in, obviously they're gonna sit with my uh, Mike Maddox, which is one of the smartest uh, pitching coaches out there. Um, uh, and they're going to sit and discuss everything, you know, ab- about them or what they know about them. Uh, they're going to study him. And uh, probably the pitcher probably feel good because they trust him. You know, they have that trust between the pitcher and the catcher. And and I think that's what Yadi brings also. I mean, the hitting is going gonna, is gonna to pick up soon. Uh, but what I was really worried was the catching behind the play, catching, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the starting rotation and these relievers. Uh, that we probably have the best relievers in the bullpen uh, in the league. So that's what I was more worried about. So I think that's how he's going to help them. It's just talking to them, his experience, his trust. Benji, Yadi has obviously been such uh, an important piece of the Cardinals organization for such a long time, and he has such an incredibly decorated career. It's hard to believe that this is the final stretch of it, that at the end of this season we won't see Yadi or Molina playing baseball again. Has that sunk in for you? Um, not yet. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I really hope he plays two more, three more, five more. <laughs> I hope he never takes his uniform off. Uh, I hope to see him on the field for, for many years to come. Um, is that very possible? Well, well who knows? But um, no, he haven't sinked in with me. I, I, um, I don't want to think about it, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, not only for ourselves, you know, the fans and, and the family. I don't want him to, to go anywhere. But also as a fan, you know, you got it. When you have an icon, it's like when Derek Jeter retired, you know, when he played so many years with the Yankees. And all of a sudden, this is his last year. And you're like, okay, so who's next? You know, who's going to take that ring? Who's going to do the same that he did? And things like that. But. I'm going to tell you, I haven't thought about it, and I don't want to think about it for the next, what, two months, mm-hmm. maybe? <laughs> hopefully three. Yeah, hopefully longer. Yeah, Benji hopefully Molina. Three, yeah. Benji Molina with us on 101 ESPN. And, Benji, you are a world champion. You've played for a world championship club. You've been around other world championship teams uh, uh, very intimately. You you know world championship teams. So what will it take for this club to get through the gauntlet of the National League? Are the, First of all, are the Cardinals capable? If second, uh, Secondly, if if they are capable, how do they do it? I think they're very capable. I think the the guy who would have changed everything would have been Soto, right? Obviously, Soto and and uh, Montgomery come in and uh, Quintana because of the injuries. I think Soto would have would have made a, a huge impact to going deeper in uh, in the playoffs, but we didn't get him. So the thing is, right now, 
I believe in this team. I really do believe that this team can do it. And let me tell you, I never lose faith when Yadi's behind the plate. I mean, I saw what he could do two times in a row in the, in the baseball classic when we had uh, A-ball pitchers and double-A pitchers. And obviously not disrespect to them, but, but you know, they weren't, they weren't big leaguers yet. So I don't lose that hope. And I think this team has it as long as we keep, uh, like Carson, keep hitting how he can at getting on base, uh, Goldsmith having an MVP season, Arenado. We need O'Neill back to his form, things like that. But um, I really do believe they, they are very capable. When you look around in the other leagues and you see the teams that we got to face, obviously they have a little bit more offense or, or you know, in a bullpen or something. Well, it gets you thinking a little bit. But to tell you the truth, I really do believe these teams have it to go far. Benji, what was your reaction when you saw that the Milwaukee Brewers, the division-leading Milwaukee Brewers, dealt Josh Hader? I think that was a head-scratcher for a lot of people, so I want to get your reaction to them moving what was an important piece at the deadline. Um, my reaction was uh, to say thank you to them. <laughs> Actually, they took a piece that has been a, been a rock in our shoes for so long, and he's been so good against us and against everybody in the league. And then to see him go out of the division. It was crazy. You guys saw what happened last night, you know, and, and, and Devin Williams came in to, to hold on the tie, and all of a sudden they they lost that game. So uh, I think it's just good for us overall. It helped us out. Uh, we just have to take advantage of that and when when time comes. But I think we just earn a, earn a, a step forward into the division because I really do believe the Cardinals – uh, us, we're, we're going to win the division. I think this team has it in them, and I think they're going to make a run uh, here in the next couple of months, uh, and we're going to take the division. So, But, but going back to uh, Hayter, I, I think it helped us. I think it helped us. I have no idea why why the uh, Brewers would do something like that, which the only thing it would be money, you know, that other guy is a young guy, I guess, and and Hader is going to be paid pretty pretty good money uh, in the next couple of years. So um, that could be the only reason that I can think of. But he's good for us. Definitely is. Benji Molina, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. You're busy today on AM880 with the Spanish broadcasts of both games, yourself and Polo. We always love having you on. We always love seeing you at the ballpark. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, busy day today, huh? Let's go. Let's play, too. Absolutely. Let's get two wins. Benji Molina on 101 ESPN. Next up here on 101 ESPN, Greg Amsinger had an interesting reaction to the Cardinals getting the pitchers that they got. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I liked the plan B aspect of this they had to improve in some category of their team and it would be awesome to have a left-handed bat with a ton of thunder to go between Arenado and Goldschmidt I mean that is a dream scenario but if you can't get that guy uh, there wasn't another position player that I felt moved the needle for this team uh, offensively so what they did was commit to another area that they were lacking I think you're going to see a lot from Jordan Montgomery Jose Quintana is what he is 
Um, he's going to try to paint the corners. He's not overpowering you. But man, Jordan Montgomery, when you pitch your entire career in two places, first in college baseball, the SEC, and the big leagues with the New York Yankees and the Bronx, pressure doesn't matter to you. He he is ready to walk into this team into this clubhouse for one year. I get it. It's a rental. But you're talking a 6'6", 228-pound specimen of a left-hand pitcher. You're going to be impressed with this guy. He's going to help the Cardinals down the stretch. He wasn't going to start a playoff game for the New York Yankees now that they got Frankie Montas. So it was it was a need for the Yankees. They need a center fielder, a guy that can help the best defensive team in baseball get better, and that's Harrison Bader. And the Cardinals needed a short-fire 6-7 inning winner, and they got that in Jordan Montgomery. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, this morning here on 101 ESPN. And Michelle... The Cardinals may have fallen into one here. Garrett Cole got lit up for the second game in a row yesterday for mm-hmm. the Yankees. They get Frankie Montas, whose home road splits are ridiculous. He had a 2.23 ERA in Oakland and a 5.01 away from Oakland this year. And the Yankees go out and they get the big name. They give up four of their top 20 prospects to get Frankie Montas. And like Greg said, they didn't have a spot for Jordan Montgomery, who's a really good pitcher, to start a playoff game. This is a guy that's thrown 114 innings with 23 walks. Is there a a stat line that fits better with the Cardinals than that? No, he's certainly going to help them. And he had to give up a piece, even though it's an injured piece, a a good player, the reigning gold glover and center field and Harrison Bader to get him. He was visibly upset, though, when he found out he got moved Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Homegrown kid came up through the organization. And I hope that he uses that as fuel to come to St. Louis and dominate. Yeah, and he's, at least on his Instagram post, sounded enthusiastic about making the move here. Yeah. And... Whenever you're on a team that's 70 and 35 and you get traded, you probably aren't thrilled about it. Sure. But this can be a good spot for him. And it's interesting because with his ability, I don't think he walks in as a a one or a two. He does fit that mold of what we were looking for to start for the Cardinals, a third game of the playoffs. That kind of gives you the difference between the Yankees and the Cardinals and probably the Padres and the Mets and the Dodgers and the Cardinals is that he wouldn't even start a playoff game for the Yankees and he'll be a number three at worst for the Cardinals. But I think that this is a guy that's capable of going into a game at Bush Stadium and pitching against a Carlos Carrasco or uh, Freddie Peralta of the Brewers. That's who they'd play in the first round if they could slide into the playoffs right now. But I, I think he's a guy that's capable of going against other teams' best pitchers and giving the Cardinals six innings and a chance to win. How does your rotation stack up right now? Wayno, Michaelis, Montgomery, Hudson, Quintana? i put Quintana ahead of Hudson. You would? Yeah, and then I've obviously, obviously got... Uh, Andre Pallante in the bullpen, which sure. is another huge get exactly. for the Cardinals. We we tend to overlook that, that they got the starter, but they also added a reliever because of Pallante. And I'm not so sure, Michelle, if, if I don't want to take a look at Dakota Hudson in the bullpen at some point here in the last two months to find out if he could be a bullpen piece for the playoffs, too, because you'll only use four, four starters during the, the playoffs anyway. So... If you could have him pitch as effectively out of the bullpen as he did when he was a rookie, then you've really got something. It does give you a little bit of versatility. And I know, as Greg mentioned, that a lot of people are still disappointed that the Cardinals didn't go out and land the White Whale and Juan Soto. Mm -hmm. And he is a transformative player and could have done a lot for this team if he's slotting between Goldie and Arenado. It would have been so fun to watch him go out there and perform with this team.
but who was going to pitch? And when you think about the moves that John Mozeliak in the front office went out and, and did, they're not as sexy as a Juan Soto, but they addressed an obvious, obvious need and they made your team better. Last week, Craig Mish was on with BKM Ferrario, and they were talking about Pablo Lopez. He said what the Marlins would need for Pablo Lopez is a two-way center fielder, a center fielder that can play the position and hit. I don't know that they thought Harrison Bader was that guy. They probably but, thought Dylan Carlson yeah, was that guy. <laughs> right. The Yankees have been looking for a center fielder for years and haven't been able to find one. And now they at least got the defense with a, a healthy Harrison Bader. It's hard to win. The Cardinals got good when they got Jim Edmonds in 2000. They were not good in 1997, 1998, 1999. They go out and get the defensive center fielder, and they're a good team. That is a huge part of of winning World Series. And the Cardinals have that guy in Dylan Carlson right now. I would not have moved him so that I could get a corner outfielder. I I, I want to have a premier defensive center fielder. I want to be strong up the middle defensively. I want to have a good second baseman, good shortstop, good catcher, good center fielder. Especially now when Jordan Walker is getting those reps in the outfield mm-hmm. in the minors and you know you have a, a what should be a stud corner outfielder coming. Maybe a center fielder. You think he's... He's going to play there. He's going to get reps everywhere in the Aaron, outfield, Aaron right? Judge is playing a great center field, mm-hmm. right? And he's he's bigger than Jordan Walker. So maybe he could be your guy. Not ahead of Dylan Carlson. He's going to be a corner guy here in St. Louis. But if, if Carlson, for whatever reason, can't play, he might be a guy that you slide in there. You have some versatility there as well. But I, I think that the Cardinals did a really good job of addressing needs on the team right now. Mm-hmm while making them more of a contender, at least putting themselves in the best possible position to win the division, while also still protecting themselves for the future. And as John Mozeliak said the other day, he hopes they get hot. I think any rational person looks at the Mets and the Braves and the Padres and the Dodgers, even if the Cardinals were able to get rid of all of their minor league players, all of them, to get Juan Soto this year, I don't think the Cardinals would have been good enough it would not have been reasonable for them to say, yeah, we can get through those four teams because we have Juan Soto and the same starting rotation that we had before the trade deadline. Well, the Cardinals are sitting a game and a half back from the Brewers. The Brewers are having that same conversation. We hope we get hot. Mm-hmm. We hope this Josh Hader thing doesn't totally blow up in our face and that we didn't make ourselves worse at the deadline by removing him from the equation and not going out and getting other pieces that we needed. And I know it's hard for Cardinals fans to stomach a comment like that, even though it is reality, because they are sick of hoping and they're sick of waiting for the Cardinals to get hot or banking on the the what-ifs. But that's exactly what the Brewers are saying down the stretch, right. too. Yeah, that's what most mid-market teams are saying. Is You hope you can load up at the deadline and be good enough to make a run. That's what the Twins did with their trades. That's what the Cardinals did with their trades. Yeah, most of the mid-sized market teams that are actually trying uh, made smaller moves than Juan Soto at the deadline. If Juan Soto wasn't reportedly, or excuse me, if the Cardinals weren't reportedly in the mix for Juan Soto, if that wasn't even part of the equation, I wonder how Cardinals fans would be viewing the moves made at the deadline. Probably more favorably. More favorably, yeah. But you didn't get, like you said, the white whale. And that's the guy that people wanted. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's today's big thing. Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford talking some blues hockey here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. So today, Michelle and I are going to hop on a plane for Canton, Ohio, to cover the induction of Dick Vermeil into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Jerry Rutherford, a.k.a. Shaggy, used to cover the uh, St. Louis Rams with us. He was the... Uh, he worked with Jim Thomas at the Post-Dispatch covering the Rams. He's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. JR, it's always good to talk to you. What's your favorite Dick Vermeil memory or story? Oh, it was such a great time being out there at Rams Park. And I was like the 85th guy on the totem pole. I was just out there, uh, you know, shagging quotes for, you know, Jim Thomas and some of these other folks watching you in action, Randy. And, you know, I know you're not looking for a compliment here, but to see you uh, operate out there was a, a good learning tool for me. Um, you know, I think just attending the uh, the weekly press conferences and listening to Dick uh, answer the questions, of course, his famous uh, quote about Kurt Warner, we'll rally behind him. I still recall going home that night and my wife saying, why is everybody down on the situation? This Kurt Warner guy is going to be fine. And I said, you don't understand. You don't <laughs> understand. Trent Green was uh, going to be amazing, and this is not going to work out now. And she said, oh, it'll be fine. And she still reminds me of that today. So um, just <laughs> – Watching a, a Hall of Fame coach, Dick Vermeil, uh, handle things uh, was some, something I'll never forget. JR, can we get the story behind Shaggy? <laughs> you know what? Um, I f- it feels weird now because I'm 47. I feel like I'm one of the older guys down there. But uh, at the time, when I started at the Post-Dispatch, I was 19 years old covering high school sports. And then, you know, I think by my early 20s, they said, hey, you want to go out to Rams Park and help? And I said, yeah. Well, I can't grow a beard for anything. I mean, these guys grow beard in the month of November, and uh, I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. And so at the time, I'm in my early 20s, and I have like this orange-reddish peach fuzz on my chin, and that's all it would grow. I remember Bernie Gurko telling me one time, get rid of that. You know, like, get, <laughs> get rid of that. But but I think it was uh, the Rams PR staff, maybe Rick Smith. Uh, I know R.B. Falstrom probably involved in that, but uh, they all looked at me. Uh, with that little red peach fuzz on my chin and started calling me Shaggy. Hey, uh, Shaggy. Yeah, I, I guarantee that was Rick Smith. <laughs> so Rick, Rick Smith was the greatest PR director of all time. I hope he's there this weekend. But I, I just want to pass this story along because this was the essence of PR. It was during that time, about 03, where we found out that the weapons of mass destruction, the the evidence was not there. And Iran didn't have weapons of mass destruction. And Rick Smith comes out to the football media and says, you know, I I wish I would have been Bushy's PR guy because I just would have gone up to the podium and said, look, Bushy blanked up. (laughs) (laughs) He he was great. He was great. And gosh, I wish I could tell you about three more, but they're just not suitable for radio. (laughs) Oh, well, how'd you do that off air, JR? And what a press conference that would have been, Randy. If you talk about the, the quintessentially perfect presidential spokesman, Rick Smith would, because he was so blunt and so honest, but so fun, he would have been perfect for that job. Yeah, and you got the voice nailed down perfect. I think a few of those, uh, what was the lunch day? Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday, I yeah. Remember, but, uh, yeah, and here I'm, you know, early 20s and probably pushing 280 at the time, and Rick Smith is like, uh, 
hey, Shaggy, uh, you just coming out for the lunch or what, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what a line. And every time you got, you say Shaggy, I want to say it wasn't me. I mean, at the time, JR, I'm sure it was great. So you mentioned that your wife, when Trent Green went down, he's injured, he's out for the season, and Kurt Warner gets the job. She's like, it's cool. Everything's going to be fine. Did you have that same reaction when the Blues didn't bring David Perron back? Because you have a great piece up at The Athletic about the 15 most disappointing departures in Blues history. David Perron coming in at number eight. I'm hoping your wife might have had that same reaction and that she might be right about that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Let me uh, touch on that in one second. But it's so funny that you're asking that question right now because I am literally at a bread company here in St. Louis and I'm answering mailbag questions from the readers. And, you know, I sent out this uh, inquiry saying, hey, send me your questions several weeks ago. But because of the Matthew Kachuk situation, because of the David Prawn situation, the mailbag's been pushed back. So the question that I'm sitting down, I stepped away from my laptop just a minute ago. The answer is some fan is saying, tell me what's going on. You know, David Prawn's not coming back. Tell me everything's going to be okay. And so I'm trying to formulate that answer uh, as we speak, Michelle. But, um, you know, yeah, we did that list this week and uh, the most disappointing departures of all time. And, some people may have seen the story, but uh, David Prawn, we have eighth on that list. You know, you can debate the list, you know, till you're blue in the face, and they're all disappointing departures. You know, this is one that I think is going to be tough for the Blues. I think because you're in your championship window now, even if it takes a two-year deal, you know, David Prawn's probably a guy you need to bring back. I don't think any of us saw his game diminishing whatsoever. Now, the one thing we've been saying for a couple of weeks now, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? Could they get Matthew Kachuk? Maybe that's why they need the prime money. Of course, you needed to bring back uh, Nick Letty. You needed a defenseman. That, that weighed into it. So we do understand there are reasons why David Perron wasn't re-signed, but at the end of the day, he's not here, and that's going to be a major hole in this lineup if it's not replaced. So uh, I think from an emotional standpoint, a fan favorite standpoint, a hole in the lineup standpoint – so many reasons why it's disappointing. JR, I, I thought that all of the people that you had on your list were legit. Did you get a lot of grief? And I, I remember walking into the old arena the day that Liut got traded, and Susie Matthews said, this one hurts the most. And it was devastating at the time. But I, I, I have no problem with the list. Did you get a lot of grief, though? A little bit, yeah, uh, and we expected it. You know, originally, uh, Tim Beaver from uh, St. Louis Blues History Twitter account, we sat down at lunch one day and uh, and put together the list. And originally, we were going to go with 10 guys, and we felt like we had to stretch it to 15 just to get a few more guys on there. But even if you stretch it to 15, you've probably left some guys off. So, you know, whether you have it at 10, you expand it to 15, I think guys like Leute, for sure could have been on there. I feel like uh, Curtis Joseph was another guy. Mm-hmm. Heck, uh, our good buddy Barrett Jackman, you know, he doesn't get re-signed, goes to Nashville. You know, as a, uh, as a 70s he, kid, Gary Unger. Gary Unger is, is another one. What we wanted to do, and, you know, right or wrong, we wanted to cover as many eras as we could. So we had, you know, uh, Red Berenson in there. You had the Federico Mullen, Gilmore. You had those guys in the 80s. Then you had the Keenan casualties in the 90s. <laughs> Uh, Pronger in the 2000s. So I felt like we covered a a lot of eras, and, um, you know, that was kind of another point of emphasis. So definitely three or four guys that you could have had on there, and Liut being one of the the top ones uh, I can think of. JR, I was a a little bit surprised to see David Prawn ahead of Alex Petrangelo. He was a captain, first player to hoist the cup in St. Louis Blues history. Do you think the the Blues realize how much David Prawn is going to be missed? 
Yeah, I heard you guys talking about that earlier. I think so. I, I think that uh, even when Doug Armstrong has to make tough decisions, I think he, he's very familiar, has an awareness of uh, the fan base. He doesn't make moves, I don't think, based on what the fan base thinks, of course. Sure. Uh, but I think, he's, I think he's aware of it. So, you know, I, I really do wonder what it's like to be Doug Armstrong in the 24, 36 hours leading up to when he knows this is going to become reality and it's going to be announced and people are going to have that reaction because he knows that that's coming. Uh, you know, just like other guys on that list, you know, Mike Keenan knew there was going to be a reaction when, when he moved uh, Brandon Shanahan. Uh, so I think this is the case with a lot of these guys. It's just that they can't tie those themselves to that, you know, to the, to the reaction that they're going to get from the fans. But he's definitely aware, as, as you can imagine. JR, last thing for me, I'm assuming from the outside, and I haven't even talked to anybody from the Blues since all of this went down, but I'm assuming that their team is put together and this will be the group that we will see at the start of training camp. Is there a move for the Blues to make before training camp or during training camp? So, like, are you at the bread company looking over my shoulder here <laughs> at my screen? <laughs> like, these are a lot of similar questions. Uh, no, I think it's. Uh, I think if you had to, you know, pick one side, if, if somebody said, "Hey, look, you have to tell me, is this the team, or is there for sure a move coming?" I think you'd have to pick. This is the team. That doesn't mean there's not a move coming, but I think the options are pretty limited, barring a big blockbuster move, you know, like a Tarasenko, which is always possible. Uh, but I think if you had to pick a side, you'd have to say this is a, this is the team. I think Doug's going to uh, allow this club to go into camp and let some guys like a Jordan Cairo say, hey, I'm ready to be a more consistent player, you know, get a Scott Perinovich in the lineup. You know, I think even though they're in that championship window, they feel like you have to continue to evolve and guys will kind of ascend into these roles. You know, it's tough, I think, for fans, media on the outside to say, uh, yeah, it's going to work. Everything's going to be fine, like Doug thinks it will be. But uh, at some points, if he spends $82.5 million of ownership's money, Randy, he's got to say, look, these are the guys we're paying to get the job done. they got to do it. Well, uh, last thing for me, JR, speaking about moves that are still out there to be made, are you surprised that Nazem Kadri still isn't locked up somewhere? All reports are saying that it looks like he's heading to the Islanders, but I'm kind of surprised that that wasn't a move that was made earlier in the offseason. Yeah, definitely. I would have thought that Kadri would have been announced that, you know, the first day of free agency, wherever he was going, it, it, you know, a guy like that. Um, you know, two things. One is it's so hard to move cap money. I think the Blues found that out. Other teams found that out. You know, if, if you could move cap money, maybe you could have brought a Matthew Kachuk in. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind here is the New York Islanders. Lou Limerell does this every single year. He doesn't announce who he signed. You know, they've got, you know, lots of cap space every year in terms of uh, announced cap space and announced signings. And then all of a sudden on one day, whenever it is, they'll announce like six signings. They'll eat up $20 million of their space, and, and these deals are done. So is Kadri on that list? Is he one of their guys? Uh, we don't know if it's that or if it's uh, another team trying to move cap to sign him, but likely one of those teams. But definitely, definitely a, a huge surprise that here we are in August and Kadri's still not announced. JR, always great to have you with us. Thanks so much. Your work is great. And if people are at the Breadco right now, just go over and say hi to JR. If you're around. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah you're buy him a bagel. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Shaggy, buy eat a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, JR, we're, we're, this is like the, uh, the the athletic segment because we've got Katie Wu coming up. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, tell her this for me, if you don't mind. I always tell baseball people I'm lucky to cover hockey for two reasons. One. 
There's no rain delays. I don't sit at the rink until 2 o'clock in the morning because we have something called shootouts. And then second of all, we don't have doubleheaders. We're never playing a doubleheader in hockey, so uh, I don't have to sit at the rink that long. So we'll, see if you can rub that in her face a little bit. We will point that out to her. All right, JR, have a great day. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. See you. Our friend Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend and Cardinal insider from The Athletic, Katie Wu, kind enough to take some time with us this morning before the Cardinals embark on a doubleheader against the Cubs. Good morning, Katie. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle, two of my favorite people in St. Louis Talk Radio. How are you? Everything's going great here. And Jeremy Rutherford was just on with us, your colleague who covers the Blues for The Athletic. He said he wanted to pass along two things. Number one, that they don't have any rain delays in hockey, and they have these things called shootouts to prevent the, him from being at the rink till 2 in the morning. And then he said he never has a double header either. Well, now JR has dropped in my power ranking, so I hope he's listening. He is, Katie, and I'm sure he will be responding during the segment. But I'm glad Randy and I remain firmly at the top. All right, well, let's get into the Cardinals' moves at the trade deadline. What grade would you give John Mozalek and the Cardinals' front office for the moves that they made to fortify this pitching staff? I would give the Cardinals' front office and John Mozalek a... A B plus, I would say an 86.5% for their moves at the trade deadline because I really do think that they were smart, solid. They will. I, I really think Jordan Montgomery profiles this rotation really well, Jose Quintana just as much. And most importantly, they didn't give up a single one of their top prospects. So the Cardinals did something that is pretty difficult to do in this trade deadline where the starting pitching market was so heavily favoring the sellers. They were able to bolster the rotation with two left-handers that they sorely needed, and they were able to keep that future intact so that they didn't really mess up their continued windows of contention going forward. As Cardinals know, one thing about the Card- or as Cardinals fans know, I should say, one thing about the Cardinals is that they are always in contention because of their ability to continuously develop their farm system. It didn't seem likely that John Mozeliak would blow that up, and uh, I think Cardinal fans can take some solace in the fact that he didn't. And Katie, in addition to hanging on to all of their highly touted prospects, they hung on to Dylan Carlson, whose name was floated out there a lot in potential deals. And I think if we could take a couple of uh, noteworthy storylines out of the trade deadline, one of them is how highly they think of Dylan Carlson and how important he's going to be for the Cardinals moving forward. Absolutely. Cardinals fans are looking at their long-term starting center fielder in Dylan Carlson. He's only 23. He's under team control until 2026. And when you look or when you talk around the Cardinals clubhouse, especially the veterans, they're saying nothing but high praises for Dylan Carlson, thinking that he's barely scratched the surface of his potential. You saw him take over the starting center field spot when Harrison Bader was down, and that really opened up a window and I think made Harrison expendable. And the Cardinals were able to use him, of course, to land Jordan Montgomery. But I don't think they would have been able to do that trade if there was some doubts of Carlson's long-term success in the future. You're looking at someone who is obviously a switch hitter, developing the power, can play some solid center field, can play really anywhere in the outfield if they need them to, and uh, he certainly looks to be a part of the Cardinals puzzle for a long time to come. Katie, in the first iteration of Dylan Carlson in center field, I I wondered about him, but now I look at him and I think he's capable of being a gold glove quality guy he doesn't have the speed that Harrison Bader has but what do you think of his defense Carlson's defense yeah he doesn't have the speed but he has the 
the baseball awareness and the overall skill to go out and make smart routes that make up for the lack of speed. And it's not like he's a, he's a burner by any means. He's just pretty difficult to consider anyone fast when you're comparing them to Harrison Bader. Now, I think what makes Dylan stand out is how much he's been able to shadow Harrison. And he was talking to reporters a couple days ago about he's been able how much he's been able to learn how to command center field based on the leadership Harrison had in that outfield. So when you combine Dylan's skill and Dylan's smarts, I think it allows him to create efficient routes, read the ball off the bat, and make up for that speed that he's not necessarily missing, of course, but isn't all the way there when you're comparing to Harrison. And when you pair him next to Tyler O'Neill, I think that's a really good solid two-thirds of the outfield. Now, Dylan's going to have to make up for it a little bit more in right field, but I do, or what, because he's no longer in right field, but I do think the Cardinals are seeing something promising in Lars Newbar, who is pretty fast. So, all in all, I, I think the, the move for Dylan in center field is probably something we're not even going to be phased by in a couple of months just because of how easily he's adapted so far. And Katie, I wanted to circle back to Montgomery. You mentioned that he profiles well for the Cardinal rotation. Why do you think he profiles well for the Cardinal rotation? Well, when you look at Jordan Montgomery's pitch profile, look, the Cardinals had, they needed some swing and miss. That was their coveted factor when looking at the rotation because when you looked at their rotation coming into the trade deadline, they uh, didn't have any. So when you look at Montgomery and you look at his stats, he has a chase rate in the 90th percentile and a whiff rate in the top 25% of the sport. He's, his primary pitch is a sinker ball from the left side. And uh, his walk rate, 4.9, is in the top 9% of baseball. So those are all factors that John Mozeliak really treasures when he's looking at starting pitching. Now, I think the biggest factor for Montgomery is he made an American League leading 21 starts before being traded. Cardinals really need someone that they can count on every five days to take the ball. I mean, we've seen them year after year, decimated by injuring their rotation. I think that's why Montgomery and Quintana were both targeted so heavily. Both players made 20-plus starts in the first hour up until the trade deadline, and uh, that's a huge factor from the front office when you're looking at starting pitchers. They're not going to give up players for someone that they're not confident can take the ball on their scheduled start every five days, and I think Montgomery and Quintana both ease those uh, concerns. Well, Katie, one of the big pieces that had decimated that rotation was Jack Flaherty. Do you have any updated news on Flaherty? I don't have any much on Flaherty. I know he's set to rejoin the team around this weekend and continue his rehab assignment. Uh, he's eligible to come off the 60-day IL on August 26th. However, I don't know if that's you know a reasonable or feasible timetable for Jack. Stephen Matt seemed a little bit more encouraged talking to reporters yesterday. He was visibly relieved that he will not need surgery. Uh, he has a grade 3 completely torn MCL. But he was said that his surgeon and his doctors were encouraged that uh, it was healing on its own. So he's in a brace. He's continuing a throwing program. He could move to playing light catch this weekend. So there is a window that he'd be able to return this season. Katie, last thing from me. We talk a lot about the additions to the starting rotation. And we tended to gloss over, at least on our show, the enhancement to the bullpen by getting Palante down there. Palante probably reaching an in- innings limit, right? And having him down there, that's a pretty significant piece for Ali to be able to go to. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to reiterate that the move to the, for, to the bullpen for Andre Palante was not a, a mark on performance. Obviously not. I think Palante was one of the staples in the rotation when they moved him in there out of necessity. However, there's two things going on. He is approaching an innings limit, an innings limit as you mentioned, Randy. And also, when the Cardinals were looking at piecing together their bullpen, Palante and Jordan Hicks profiled well together for those long-inning relief roles, multi-inning, high-leverage situations. And that's where the Cardinals originally wanted to use him. Now, this doesn't rule out Palante being a starter in the future, of course. I mean, he came up as a starter. You've seen the success he's had as a rookie here. But I think the Cardinals' bullpen, and I think this is what Ollie Marmel feels as well, is so much stronger when you have multiple options that can fill kind of Hicks' role. 
and can carry you to the to the three big ones, right? And Henesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, and Ryan Helsley. So I think that Cardinals bullpen is much stronger because of these moves made into the rotation. And we've seen the offense has been much better than last season, a lot more power. Now we'll see if the pitching can kind of hold over these last 59 games. Katie Wu, you always do great work on the radio, and you do spectacular work at The Athletic, and we recommend everybody go get their subscription if they don't have it yet because your Cardinal coverage is sensational. And by the way, we should note that you love the minor leagues. So with Walker and Wynn and all these people the Cardinals didn't want to give up, you know about and will be writing about them too. Absolutely. Look for Jordan Walker playing left field coming up soon. Thank you, guys. See you, Katie. Thanks. Take care. That is Katie Wu from The Athletic joining us on Character and Smallman. What a delight to get to talk to Katie Wu. She's normally on BK and Ferrario, so it's great that we got a chance to chat with her. She always has the best information when it comes to the Cardinals. She does, and she'll have a long day with the Cardinal doubleheader, so we appreciate the fact that she got up early to help us out. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. Pomo, John Mozela coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. But right now, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls! Randy, we talked about Aaron Rodgers and his new tattoo and how he said, unless you were a student of astrology, you wouldn't understand it. And he's into a lot of things like that in the health and wellness space. And he recently shared a little bit more about his journey. He was on the Aubrey Marcus podcast, and he explained that... His string of dominance recently in the NFL, including winning back-to-back MVP awards, isn't necessarily just contributed to his hard work in the offseason, but he gave a little bit of a nod to, how shall we say, an experience that he had. Here's what he had to say. I had a magical experience with uh, the sensation of feeling a hundred different hands on my body, imparting a blessing of love and forgiveness for myself and gratitude for this life from what seemed to be my ancestors. I really feel like that set me on my course to be able to go back in to my job and have a different perspective on things and then to to be way more free at work, as a leader, as a teammate, as a friend, as a lover. And I really feel like that experience paved the way for me to have uh, the best season of my career. So I didn't realize that he didn't exactly say what he was doing in this clip. That's my bad. He went and had an ayahuasca experience. And for those who don't know what ayahuasca is, it is a South American psychoactive brew. It comes from a plant that's used ceremonially in a spiritual medicine ritual and it's supposed to help you find yourself for a lot you throw up a lot of times when you drink ayahuasca a lot of people hallucinate but they have deep psychoactive psychoactive experiences it helps some people cure themselves from trauma but it often changes something in you mentally and that's what Aaron Rodgers was referencing when it said he said that while he was 
drinking it and going through this experience with ayahuasca that he felt the hands of his ancestors on him. And I believe he said it opened it up more freely to be a, a better lover. I mean, mm-hmm. it just really helped him in a lot of ways. But he said specifically that it helped him be a better football player and a better leader. Is it possible to hear like the first 15 seconds of that again? Matthew, do we have the, uh, if, if we could, uh, because I, I do have a takeaway here. Okay. 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 Let's hear it. Yeah. I had a magical experience with uh, the sensation of feeling a hundred different hands on my body, imparting a blessing of love and forgiveness for myself and gratitude for this life from what seemed to be my ancestors. There you go. So he found family members that like him. Randy. <laughs> Randy character. Isn't that, that was, great? That was so good. That was so good. Well, you know, he doesn't need his family to like him because he said he found unconditional self-love during yeah. that ex- experience. So A lot of guys find that every day. Oh, Randy. <laughs> What is going on with this segment? Earlier we had all his pipes are great. I mean, what is going on? I know that we are going out of town tomorrow, so it's going to be a loose Friday show, but boy. And Aaron Rodgers said that a previous experience with mushrooms is what led him to try ayahuasca, and then it gave him an entirely new perspective on life. To be completely serious here, wouldn't you love to feel that way sometime? What, unconditional self-love? Unconditional self-love. No just doubt. so relaxed and just feels love, feels forgived. It doesn't sound like he has a care in the world. No, he clearly doesn't. And he feels so convicted by mm-hmm. this experience and by this journey that he's on that he doesn't care what anybody else thinks either. He's publicly yeah. talking about all of this stuff. He's he's getting the tattoo. He must really have been changed in some way mentally for him to want to yeah. go out and talk about this because I think a lot of guys whether it's a sports psychologist or other ways mentally that they improve their game, they're not usually forthcoming with stuff like that, especially in the media. So props to Aaron Rodgers for being able to talk about stuff like this because he knows that people like us are going to be talking about Mm -hmm. it all day long. And he has unconditional self-love now and doesn't care. He is a completely unusual athlete. And I think he's great to listen to. I, I find him... In a, in a strange way, he, he's strangely compelling. Let me put it that way. Well, I, I think this is interesting. So he says ayahuasca helped him unconditionally love himself. And he went on in this podcast to say, quote, to me, one of the core tenets of your mental health is that self-love. And that's what ayahuasca did for me. It was to help me see how to unconditionally love myself. It's only in that unconditional self-love that then I'm able to truly be able to unconditionally love others. And what better way to work on my mental health than to have an experience like that? And he talked about how it helped him be a better leader and be a better teammate. Now that he loves himself unconditionally, he can express that to other people. And it really is hard to love others until you do love yourself. So I appreciate where he's coming from. I would love to talk to members in the locker room and see if they saw a shift in him. Because remember years past, some of his former teammates came in saying, I didn't even have his phone number. He barely talked to me. And now here he is saying that he's unconditionally loving all his teammates. And I wonder if if guys in the locker room felt a shift of any sort. You know what would be really interesting is to have the he and Tom Brady sit down for a conversation 
about taking care of themselves, him mentally, Brady physically, and just to find out what sort of a conversation that would be. I would pay pay-per-view to watch too. those two talk about that. Especially because we don't really get a lot from Tom Brady on the mental preparation and the mental self-care that he partakes in because so much of it, at least from our perspective, is how do you look the way you do? How, how are you still this great at your age? What physical regimen are you undergoing for you to be able to maintain yourself in this way? But you have to have the mental toughness for Tom Brady mm-hmm. to be able to, when you're down 28 to 3, never give up on yourself. And year after year, when you're cycling through different coordinators and teammates, be able to be the leader that he is. Mm-hmm. But we don't really get to hear him talk about that side of himself as much, but you know it's present. And in one way or another, they both have taken unusual routes in order to be the leaders and the stars right. that they are. Tom Brady gets rid of nightshades and he took the pliability route instead of the weightlifting route. Here's Aaron Rodgers talking about ayahuasca and unconditional self-love. That would be a great conversation. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Instead of them doing the match, let's have that. Yeah, I'm with you, 100%. And every year, we talked about Tom Brady's birthday earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Every year that they have that little moving graphic where it shows Tom Brady evolving through the years, yeah. his face and how he's Benjamin buttoning and aging backwards. Every year on his birthday, I see that. And every year I Google the TB12 method and say, should I do this? Because then, he, he looks great. Yeah. I just don't have the discipline to do it. There's no way. I've determined that it's too late for me. It's I feel better about it. It's never way. too late. Yeah, it's never too late. Oh, it's, Believe me, it's too late for me. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Mozalock, joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we go right to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. John Mozalak, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, has been very busy, and we have him taking some time with us this morning here on 101 ESPN. Mo, good morning. How are you doing? Good, Randy. How are you guys? Everything's outstanding here, and first of all, I want to congratulate you on probably getting a little bit of sleep after the, the deadline came and went. Sort of ironic, right? Like, you, you, you finished that, and then you jump into a rain delay so it's sort of perfect um, <laughs> a little sarcasm there but um you know here we go with uh with two today so you know hopefully we can just continue on what we did the other night and uh our pitchers put up some zeros and our offense score some runs so that'd be fun it would be fun mo well let's go back to the trade deadline you know we're all following the news and we're seeing that the cardinals are reportedly in on, on multiple players and they're going to be buyers at the deadline from your perspective how difficult is that balancing your interests and conversations that you're having with multiple teams about multiple players that might include some of the same prospects or guys you have in-house you know it's sort of interesting because <clears throat> and don't take this in a negative way but there's so much stuff that gets out there, whether it's on, you know, Twitterverse or, or social media that, that lacks accuracy. And then, so, so, so ultimately when you think about all these different sort of dynamics that are going on, when, when you're, when you're doing what I do, you know, what's true, you know, what's real, you know, what's, what's possible. Whereas I think the general public and, and people that, that are following sort of the baseball world, there's a lot of things that are misleading, inaccurate, and, and you know, ultimately,
ultimately, when you ask, like, how does that affect, like, my job and my role, it becomes complicated because expectations for the general public change um, in terms of what's happening in the industry. And it, it actually trickles down all the way to the clubhouse. So, like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, like I met with Dylan Carlson when we were in, excuse me, in Washington, D.C., and I, you know, I told him, look, you're not being traded. So, like, take a deep breath. I met with uh, Nolan Gorman, who's you know a young guy in the big leagues for the first time, hearing his name bantered about all the time, and I'm like, you're not being traded. And so, you know, I'm just trying to help people understand like really where they stand and, and what's going on, but I can't control what's being you know typed on Twitter and, and being held accountable for that. Well, when you have those conversations with Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman, what's their reaction? I would imagine a, a relief. I would imagine appreciation, and I would imagine some gratitude that you know, okay, the club has faith in me, and and they're moving forward. So, um, I I think that would be it. I mean, I imagine there's sometimes there are players actually do want to be traded, and you know they would prefer to hear the opposite. But I mean, in, in the Cardinals situation, most guys want to be a part of this this organization, want to be a part of what we're trying to do, and you know, I think like when you look at like somebody like Quinton or, or Stratton, like when they got traded over here, they were thrilled. You know, they're, they're entering a race. They're, they're pumped. Someone like Montgomery is being taken off of, of a you know, New York Yankees team. And I'm sure he was shocked when he learned that he was being traded. And, you know, I do think he's excited about joining the Cardinals, but I imagine there was a, a moment of, of just pure shock and bewilderment. And then ultimately, uh, you know, coming to realization that it's happened. And so, the worst part of, of, of doing what I do is actually the training side of things because I do feel like a lot of times people think of us as like, oh, it's just baseball cards, you know, flip this for that. But these guys are humans, and, you know, they, they have families, they have commitments. It's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than I think a lot of people really understand. And, and so I have a lot of empathy for what players go through during those couple weeks as it leads up to the training deadline. But I think um, – you know, a lot of people on the Twitterverse don't have any understanding of what it would feel like to be that person. Mo, as you know, there was a ton of conversation here while you guys were in Washington about your conversations with Mike Rizzo. But you just told us that you did, you told Carlson and Gorman you guys aren't going anywhere. Would you categorize those th- those negotiations that you had with Rizzo? Were, were they serious? Did you ever feel like something could happen? You know, I never thought, like, like, you know, I always sort of joke sometimes, like, if you squint hard enough, you might be able to see a deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like we were ever to that point. Um, they were much more high level. And, you know, I, I, I would add that, you know, some of my meetings with, with Mr. Rizzo were not um, necessarily uh, always centered around uh, the one big player that was uh, being traded. So, um, as you can imagine, we cast a pretty wide net on how we think about we can improve the club whether it's, you know, looking at pitching, starter, reliever, uh, position players, et cetera. So um, I think, again, everybody just sort of draws their own conclusions on what those little interfaces might have been about. Mm-hmm. But, again, not not probably uh, – um, I think more is being left up to one's imagination than reality. And like you said, there's a lot of inaccuracy out there, but there's also a lack of knowledge because we never saw Jordan Montgomery's name until you guys announced the trade. So how did that come about for the Cardinals, that Jordan Montgomery got on the market and you were able to grab him? 
So, you know, when, when you think about how all this stuff begins, when you think about, like, you know, a couple of weeks leading up to a trading deadline, you know, it's our responsibility to co- contact all 29 clubs, let them know what we're trying to accomplish, how we're trying to accomplish it. And, and so that gives, uh, you know, sort of each other opposing general manager at least some, some ability to understand what we're trying to do or a framework of what we're trying to think through. And so as, as the trading deadline was, was approaching, we were, we were in contact with New York on a variety of things, but, you know, ultimately we were trying to accomplish a starting pitcher. They were looking for someone who could play center field. And, and so ultimately, you know, we were able to, to get this done at the 11th hour and, um, you're right. It was not something that, that did, um, I think, attract attention. And I think that sort of almost reflects a little bit probably how both Bader and Montgomery felt, too, because, you know, neither names were, were, were being put in the public at that time. So I think just the, the initial shock of being told you're being, you're being traded is probably uh, one that they weren't expecting. But, yeah, there's a lot of things that we talked about that never made uh, sort of the, the Twitterverse or the public verse. So that's kind of fun. Any you want to share with us, Mo? <laughs> well, not really. Because that's like, you know, it's like, you know, sort of like it never happened. So like, it's not, you don't want to like cause anybody anxiety to, to, to hear what might have happened, right? Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I want to circle back to the conversations with Washington and that one big player that you referenced, because uh, when the Cardinals tend to make a move to uh, acquire a star player that's considered a rental, I would imagine that you do so with some sort of sense that the player might be interested in signing a longer-term deal to remain with the organization. So when it comes to Juan Soto, did you have any sense of his appetite to potentially stay with the Cardinals when you entered into those initial discussions about him? No, I have no idea. Uh, Uh, Nor was that part of the uh, negotiation. Uh, You're acquiring a player for you know, roughly two years and two months. I, I, I think Washington's position on that was, that's your problem. Is that something that you you try to at least discern a little bit, though, before you go out and you Absolutely. acquire a player like that? Okay. Yeah, no, not necessarily directly with player or, or their representation, but if you're going to be granted a window or not to, to be able to extend, and in Washington's case, they did not feel like that was something they were going to consider. Mo, you have a rare commodity in uh, Quintana in that he takes the ball. You look at his baseball reference page, and it's 32 starts, 32 starts, 32 starts, 31, 29. It's a rare commodity in baseball when you have a guy that takes the ball every time. No, absolutely. It's uh, Look, that's a skill. You know, We talk about that a lot internally, about the ability to go pole to pole. And, and you know, there, there's... You, you look at this game, and 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 very few people can actually say they do that. And in his case, he can. But more importantly, he's had some success, and we think, you know, putting him with our club, we think he's only going to get better. So, you know, really, we felt that was sort of a win-win. And you, you make these moves. I'm presuming that you can't reasonably expect Flaherty to come back, but you do have a longer Triple A season this year. You're running out of runway. As you map this out, is there a way to Flair, for Flaherty to get a major league start by the end of this year? Oh, yes, yes. Um, based on what we're hearing, what we're seeing, um, he'll report back to the club this weekend. But we're pretty encouraged that he's not too far away from a rehab assignment. 
Oh, that's terrific to hear. I also want to touch on the reliever you got, Chris Stratton, and putting Pallante back in the bullpen, because to me that's as big as getting the two starting pitchers. Well, right, because it just creates that depth, right? So so ultimately, you know, you're improving your rotation, but you think you're also improving your bullpen. And, and given how Pallante's pitch for us, we think he gives us, you know, ultimate flexibility. If he has to start, he can start, but if he has to pitch out of the bullpen, he can do that. And so yeah, I mean, net-net, we feel we've upgraded in both areas. And Jordan Walker has been hot down at A. Is there a scenario in which Jordan Walker could see the field at St. Louis this season? I would think that would be pretty unlikely. Um, you know, he's playing well, which is great to see. Um, getting experience in the outfield now, which is great to see. But I think right now where where, where he is, I think you know, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. And um Improving, growing, maturing in this game, but I would, I was, I would say it was very, very unlikely that he'd play in the big leagues this year. And we did mention the other day when you told us that he is going to see time in the outfield. He's played a couple of games in left. Where do you think he projects athletically? Uh, you know, I think from a just a pure athleticism standpoint, there's a pretty good chance he could be a center fielder. But you know, first. You know, stepping out there, it's just we just want to give him experience out there because clearly, you know, when you look at first base, third base, we have that locked up for a while, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's, you know, his offensive profile is so large or or exciting, we just want to see what what it looks like. And so, as you can imagine, you know, we we have time to to develop that. Pretty high probability he'll probably see some time out in the fall league as well, and so. You know, when you combine that, we'll pretty, have a pretty good idea of what this looks like, especially when we complete our spring training camp in 2023. Hey, Mo, I got two more things. Number one, right field right now with Bader gone and Carlson being your center field. What do you envision happening in right on a regular basis? Well, I think you're going to see Newt out there quite a bit. Um, obviously, Dickerson's swinging the bat well, so there gives us some flexibility on that as as well. And um you know, I think there's still some some chances that we might see something or someone contribute from from our Memphis club. So, not ruling anything out. I think the good news is that that you know guys are swinging the bats well that are getting that opportunity. So you look at what Dickerson's done since returning from the IL. You look at Newt now that he's getting more regular playing time. He's become much more consistent. So, I mean, those are those are really encouraging. And you know, hopeful we're going to get get Tyler back and and get him to where where he was sort of an upper palate uh, MVP candidate last year. So, you know, if, if we can have that happen, I think from an offensive standpoint, we're going to be a fun team to watch. And one last thing for John Moselock, and I always talk about the randomness of the postseason. I, I would argue that the, Tony Lewis's two worst playoff teams were the 06 and 11 teams that won. But people get bothered, Mo, when you say, I hope we get hot. I, we we want to make the playoffs, and I hope we get hot. And they want you to say, I've built a World Series team. Can you just talk philosophically about what the Cardinals, you've mentioned this before, it's nothing new, but what you want to accomplish each regular season? So, so as you can imagine, if I said I built a World Series team, like what does that make me feel look like? I mean, that's just arrogant, um, conceited, and most likely wrong because there's only one World Championship every year, and and so you know, I guess if you just look at just probability, it's you have a one in thirty year chance, right? So, so it's just kind of a silly statement, and you know, I do think like when you look at 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 
to win a world championship, what's the one thing you have to do? You have to get to the postseason. If you don't get to the postseason, you certainly can't win a world championship. So, you know, you have to think about building a club for 162. And in the back of your mind, you always have to think of what you're going to look like when you are in postseason. And I do think like the acquisition of somebody like Montgomery helps us in October because he's more of a top of rotation type pitcher. And so ultimately you're trying to give yourself a chance to roll those dice. And that's what we try to do here. Always good material. Thank you, sir. We appreciate your time. You're always generous with us and have a great stretch run. And hopefully we'll be talking to you as we approach the playoffs. That sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mo. Take care. That's the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, John Mozeliak, on 101 ESPN. And we will come back and react to what Mo had to say next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we just heard from John Mozeliak. A couple of things that struck me, Michelle. Number one, is that if John Mozeliak is going to Dylan Carlson and to Nolan Gorman and telling them, you aren't being traded, the Cardinals were not in the hunt for Juan Soto. And like he said, you might be able to squint real hard and maybe see a deal. But if you aren't going to trade those two, was Washington going to make a deal with the Cardinals without those two included? And we knew, we, we really knew Jordan Walker wasn't going. So I don't see that the Cardinals were ever that serious, probably after hearing that he turned down the $440 million. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple things in that conversation that stuck out to me as far as the Juan Soto sweepstakes are concerned. If he's going to both Gorman and Carlson over the weekend in Washington to assure them that they're staying there, then when we're discussing all day Monday, are the Cardinals in as they're reported as one of those three teams, as Mo shared with us on, I guess, Tuesday after the deadline, that they wouldn't have categorized themselves as one of the teams that was in on Tuesday morning. I wonder if it died on the vine much earlier than that. And when I asked him about if he had any sort of an inkling as to what Juan Soto's appetite might have been to sign a a longer extension if he were to come here, and he said no, but that normally they do have some sort of a sense of at least where they might stand in those discussions before acquiring a player. This all is just adding up to a deal that the Cardinals are just not going to make. This is not... in their DNA to a give up prospects and major league players of the caliber with which they have and B make a move like that and take a risk like that when you don't really have any sort of a sense if he's going to stay long term. Yeah, the, so the, the Cardinals were like like you said that one probably died on the vine while we were still talking about it a lot. The other intriguing thing that came out was the conversation about Jack Flaherty, because we have about eight weeks left in the season. The season goes through the first week of October. The minor league season this year does go through September. So if somebody comes back quickly, they could get onto a rehab stint and maybe make a start for the Cardinals. I didn't see that as I did the math last night when I couldn't sleep. I'm thinking about Jack Flaherty at 3.30 in the morning. But... When I when I said to John Mozeliak, I don't see it. He disagreed. Oh yes, yes. Um, based on what we're hearing, what we're seeing, um, he'll report back to the club this weekend. But we're pretty encouraged that he's not too far away from a rehab assignment. So that would uh, two weeks. So if you get to the let's see, eleventh, eighteenth, and he starts a rehab, so that takes you to September eighteenth. So maybe in the last two weeks of the season, last three weeks of the season, Flaherty could make a start. And for me, Michelle, he has to be a starter. I don't, 
I don't think that he brings significant value to the club out of the bullpen like he did down the stretch last year. Yeah, I We had been hearing encouraging things about Jack Flaherty that he'd been feeling well and that his return may be around the corner. But the math is, is always tricky, as you mentioned, Randy. It's keeping you up at night for crying, yeah, for crying out loud. Uh, but for me, in hearing that, of course, you feel positivity because Jack Flaherty, if healthy, could be a massive bonus for this team, especially as they head into the postseason. But the problem last time was that he did not get enough runway in the minor league rehab assignments and that it felt like he he might have been rushed back a little bit despite saying how great he felt. I believe he said it's the best he had felt in three years. So if you're the Cardinals, you're in a little bit of a precarious position now because if he says he's feeling great and if he looks great in in the minor league rehab assignments, do you go down that road again and bring him back? And if I'm the Cardinals, I do it. Because if you have Jack Flaherty and he looks good and he's saying he he feels good, the playoffs are on the line. And if you can add him, great. And I would also want to know, again, I would want to know where I stand with him. But you're also looking at him and thinking if we give him a little bit more time, maybe we don't use him this season and he gets 100% healthy, or at least as close to 100% as possible, that could pay more dividends next season. It's going to be an interesting decision for them to make. And I'm really intrigued by Mo's answer when I asked about Jordan Walker. Now, he did say that it's doubtful that Walker will see the field at Bush Stadium in 2022. And that's fine. He's played at Double A. He's only got a little over 600 professional at-bats. So he probably should not see the field at Bush Stadium this year. But ultimately, when he gets on the field at Bush Stadium, from an athletic perspective, what does John Mozeliak foresee Jordan Walker as? And he said he, he could see him as a center fielder, a 6'4", 225-pound center fielder. We've seen Aaron Judge, Michelle, playing center field all year this year. Wouldn't that be fun to watch? Yes, it would. And he's clearly getting time in, in the minors in the outfield now, and they're going to to give him experience at all positions in the outfield. And I think the future is bright for the car. But I think about this, Randy. How many times have we talked about the Cardinals outfield? And how many times have we thought this is going to be the guy? The Or these are going to be the three guys in Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson. Randall Gritchick, Stephen Piscotty, Dexter Fowler, Tommy Pham. That has been a very active carousel. He's gorgeous. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous, man. Yeah, who else? Piscotti, Borges. Uh, I mean, there's a, Ozuna was in the mix. Fowler was in the mix. There's so many names that have gone through really since Oscar Tavares because right. you thought that he was going to be the thing that made the carousel stop or at least part of the carousel stop. And so I hope that the Cardinals are right on this one because at the end of last season, we thought that they were right on Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Harrison Bader. And now Tyler O'Neill has dealt with a lot of injuries this season. Harrison Bader is a Yankee. Dylan Carlson looking pretty good. But... One of three. Hopefully they're right on Walker. We want to hear from you coming up. You heard the interview with John Mozeliak, and you can send in your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 if you have the desire to do a Rhino Shield mic drop. With your 101 ESPN app, you can do that too. Michelle and I with more on Mo next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
to some of your texts and opinions coming up in a moment, but breaking news during the break that Michelle has for us. ESPN just pushing out moments ago, Randy, some breaking news that Brittany Griner was found guilty of drug possession and smuggling in a Russian court outside of Moscow. She has been sentenced to nine years in prison. The true length of her detainment will be determined by negotiations on a prisoner swap between the U.S. and Russia. Unbelievable. Nine years. Wow. Also, I was reading something about this earlier. I didn't realize it was going to come down this fast. Apparently, they had the the law in Russia allowed them to give her up to 10 years. I read a story mm-hmm. and said they expect some leniency. 90% is is leniency in Russia, I guess. Nine of 10 years, pulling back <laughs> yeah, one year. So, yeah. That's being lenient. Good Lord. Yeah. But that's a shame, and I hope that that's not what happens. Yeah, hopefully they get the prisoner exchange figured out. All right. Uh, we want to get to some of your texts, and if you have mic drops, feel free to drop them in. From the 636, Flaherty is a bust. I would never re-sign him when his contract is up. Not worth it. Always hurt, just like Reyes. And there is a strong sentiment among many Cardinal fans mm-hmm. that feel that way. But if the guy has the ability, why just let him walk? If What if he does get healthy? That's the question. What if? Well, and what's his value really going to be mm-hmm. elsewhere? What are you really going to get from him in return? Him being healthy at this point for you is more valuable than really anything you'll get in return, right? Yeah. there's Somebody uh, actually texted in and wondered why the Cardinals didn't make a move for Zach Wheeler last year. Zach Wheeler was with the Phillies and was second in the Cy Young voting, so the Phillies weren't trading him. But it brings to mind the fact that Zach Wheeler missed two full seasons. And then came back, signed a big contract with Philadelphia, and was second in the Cy Young Award last year. Flaherty has essentially missed two full seasons. So there is precedent, although rare, for a player to miss significant time, a pitcher to miss significant time, and then come back. Uh, A couple of other texts, 65780. Uh, What do you think about pitching for next year? The Cardinals need an ace, and I don't think you can count on Jack to be that guy anymore. I do think that if there is a number one that becomes available, that it would be smart for the Cardinals to pursue that guy. That guy is not there in free agency. But especially if you don't have Adam Wainwright back, you don't have a number one on this team. Do you all due respect to Miles Michaelis and and Jordan Montgomery and the, the young pitchers that you have? I don't see a number one there. I would feel comfortable with Miles Michaelis as a one or two, but only if he had someone like an Adam Wainwright that was right there beside him. Yeah, a 1A or 1A. 1B. Yeah, like tied for first yeah. because Miles Michaelis has been great this year, all star, but I just don't think he is enough on his own. Like a Max Scherzer is enough on his own, obviously, to slot other people behind him. I think I would like somebody yeah. like Adam Wainwright to compliment Miles Michaelis. This from the 618, Michelle. Encouraged to hear Mosellock say that Flaherty was close to a rehab assignment, but so glad he's not taking that for granted and got two more starters. Maybe we learned our lesson and we'll go to spring training next year with seven potential starters instead of assuming the five we start with will be the five that we break camp with. And... That's just part and parcel of what baseball is now. You can't count on people to be healthy, so you have to have strength in numbers. I think this offseason we wish that there would have been more pitching depth added, and that turned out to bite the Cardinals. Um, They didn't anticipate Jack Flaherty's injury to be what it was because of the lockout and Stephen Matz. Clearly they wouldn't have signed him to the deal if they knew the injuries that were coming down the pipeline. But I do think that they realize that Jack Flaherty is not 
an absolute. You cannot count on him. If you get anything out of him this season, it's amazing. It is a bonus. But you need to make sure that you're set up and have guys to get innings for you. And as we have discussed and as Mo echoed that those sentiments, how valuable was it for you to be able to move Andre Pallante back into the bullpen? Now, I'm intrigued by this from the 618. Jack Flaherty's main problem is his attitude, standoffish. Better than now, I mean, that's his worst problem. He comes off as arrogant. I wonder I wonder what people would have thought, and I, I don't know how old this person is, but I'm assuming that this person wasn't around to hear or read Bob Gibson in his prime. I doubt it. There wasn't a more standoffish guy for the media or the public than Bob Gibson until and including many years after he retired. You're... You, the way that you are on a microphone or on camera or even in dealing with fans is not necessarily a determination of how good of a player you are. A guy like Eddie Murray was the biggest jerk I ever met in baseball. By the way, a childhood friend of Ozzie Smith, so he and Ozzie are tight, but he didn't treat me well. And he was one of the best players ever. Maybe the biggest jerk in baseball since I've been following in the media was Barry Bonds, who was as standoffish and as much of a jerk as anybody, but he was the best player. So, and I'm not saying that Jack Flaherty is a jerk. I think some people could perceive him because he's quiet as standoffish, but that has no effect on the quality of his ability as a baseball player. All right, let's just get this out of the way because I think this is so ridiculous. If Jack Flaherty had been healthy and had been dominant, that cockiness that he has would have been part of his superpower. You look at Yadier Molina, who knows he's got it like that, and how many times we talk about Yadi and his willingness to be brash and rely on his confidence. It's part of the reason that we love him. If Jack Flaherty had a second half like we saw in 2019, but he had it during this entire season, you would love that Mamba mentality energy. You would be looking at Jack Flaherty and saying, we need more of that energy on the Cardinals. We need more people to have the confidence in themselves that Jack Flaherty has. You're right. Because he's injured and we're not seeing it in action, it's it's viewed as a detriment. Right. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan had that. Tiger Woods had that. A lot of the great athletes have that. But unfortunately for Jack, his body has not allowed him to showcase his talents. And I think we also need to be realistic here that Jack Flaherty has voiced his opinion and a lot of people don't want especially as a young man of color people don't want him to voice his opinion well they're gonna have to get over that yeah (laughs) but we'd be we'd be really ignorant to think that that's not part of the reason people feel about him the way they do that they they might not like him because he's using his platform to try and enact change and i guess that's their prerogative but let's not pretend that if he was not dominant right now as a pitcher, that we wouldn't love that mentality. We would. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We would absolutely we would. love it. Let's let's have some self-awareness here, BFIB. Let's get to a quick mic drop from our friend Janet here on 101 ESPN. What I would have liked to ask, Mo, is knowing how important a healthy shoulder is to a pitcher, why does he keep going after players, pitchers that have bad shoulders. They're just never going to be what they should have been. 
Once their shoulders hurt, it's hurt. Your pitching days are pretty limited after that. You're not wrong, but the problem is, Janet, that most of the pitchers that were on the market at this deadline had dealt with shoulder injuries. Frankie Matas just came off a shoulder injury. Luis Castillo missed action because of a, a, a shoulder issue. And I don't know why it's happening now, but there seems to have been an ep- epidemic this year that baseball, not just the Cardinals, have to deal with. And from what everything I understand, Jordan Montgomery has passed all of his issues. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned with Quintana, he's been remarkably durable during the course of his career. Can you imagine if the Cardinals would have gone out and acquired Frankie Montas and given up a uh a young prospect or maybe a young player performing at the major league level, and then he would have been injured? That would not have been ideal. No. No. And I, I understand that he's a sexier name, and you, you might think that he would have been more effective for the Cardinals, but mm-hmm. that's also a risk that if you're the Cardinals and you have already Flaherty and Matt's injured and you've dealt with this with your, your fan base, do you really want to try to take that gamble? and potentially absorb that L. I wouldn't. And it's a gamble of a prospect and a gamble of your money as Uh well. And a gamble of his health. Yep, absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming back, we're going to provide some Zach Brown tickets. We got some Zach Brown band tickets to give you. And we're going to tell you about our lineup for tomorrow when we're in Canton for Dick Vermeil's Hall of Fame induction. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we do have uh, your chance to win a pair of lawn tickets to see the, the Zach Brown Band on August 12th at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets on sale now, but you can also find a bonus chance to win free tickets at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 ESPN mobile app. If you'd like to get tickets, all you have to do is answer this question. What position does John Mozeliak envision Jordan Walker playing when he gets to the major league level? Texter number 22 that has the correct answer, gets the pair of tickets to the Zach Brown Band concert coming up over at the uh, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. And, Michelle, we are going to make our way to Canton, Ohio, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. And tomorrow, Dick Vermeil, and we don't know if we're going to have him on the phone or if he's going to join us on site, but we'll have Dick Vermeil right off the top of the show. We'll have Isaac Bruce checking in. We'll talk to Ron Jaworski. We're also going to talk to Trent Green. Ricky Prohl hopefully will join us. He's going to be en route. Uh, DeMarco Farr will join us. Jay Zygmunt will join us. And uh, probably uh, another interesting or fun Hall of Fame guest. But that's a great lineup. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk to all of those people about the greatness of Dick Vermeil, including the man himself. Yeah, looking forward to that. We will hear from him right off the top of the show tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. There was one other John Mozeliak thing that you wanted to get to, right? You want to talk about the Juan Soto discussions? Yeah. So we all were assuming, based on the reports that we were hearing from a lot of national pundits, that the Cardinals were one of three teams that were in on Juan Soto as of Tuesday morning leading into the deadline. And we were asking Mo how serious their involvement was and how far they took it with the Juan Soto discussions. He had this to say. I always sort of joke sometimes, like if you squint hard enough, you might be able to see a deal. I didn't really feel like we were ever to that point. Um, They were much more high level. And 
you know, I, I would add that, you know, some of my meetings with, with Mr. Rizzo were not um, necessarily uh, always centered around uh, the one big player that was uh, being traded. So, um, as you can imagine, we cast a pretty wide net on how we think about we can improve the club. So Mo missed out on Patrick Corbin, too. <laughs> Come on, man. How dare you, Mo? <laughs> I will but, say that with all due respect to Patrick Corbin, of course. And you'll be able to hear the interview. It'll be up uh, later today on 101ESPN.com and the 101ESPN app. And it's all brought to you by our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Greg Amzinger joined us earlier in the show. You'll be able to hear that as well. And Benji Molina. But, Michelle, the big thing I take out of this is that if the Cardinals were telling Nolan Gorman and Dylan Carlson that they were not going to be traded, and John Mosaic did tell both of those guys they weren't going to be traded, then the Cardinals were not going to be in seriously on Juan Soto. And I don't have, as I said, a problem with that. The Cardinals needed pitching. They got pitching. And if they would have had to give up both Carlson and Gorman in a deal for Juan Soto, I would have been disappointed by that. And clearly, the Cardinals would have been disappointed to give up either of those guys because they told both of them they weren't going to be traded. Yeah, if you're connecting all of the dots and all of the information that Mo just shared with us, that over the weekend he spoke with Carlson and Gorman and assured them that they weren't going anywhere, that he had no true sense of the appetite that Juan Soto would have to stay in St. Louis long term and that he had to squint hard enough to see if they were able to make a deal and that the conversations that he was having with Mike Rizzo were about more than one player, including Juan Soto. It doesn't feel like they were really, really in on this and that it got to the finish line or that it was ever going to get to the finish line. But I'll say this. Props to him for being in on Juan Soto because every team with the cap, well, every team should have called on him. But every team, including the Cardinals, that actually have the capital to get it done should be exploring that. Now, whether you have the stomach to actually move a lot of valuable pieces and get it done is an entirely other conversation. But the Cardinals did their due diligence with him. And I think fans wanted him, but I think they can appreciate that they at least did the proper exploration of what it would take. Derek Gould just tweeted that the Cardinals and Cubs will play across the pond in London in 2023. That was a scheduled series in 2020, the COVID year? Yeah. And they also were, the Cardinals were supposed to play that year in the, uh, or was it, no, yeah, two years ago, the COVID year, they were supposed to play in the Field of Dreams game as well. But now they're going to reschedule the London trip. And next year, the Cardinals and Cubs in June will play in London. And that is courtesy of Derek Gould at stltoday.com. He tweeted it. And baseball is, according to Derek, going to announce this momentarily. A lot of pints and fish and chips. I, I, I don't mind the idea of trying to globalize sports, but I don't know about this one. I, is baseball going to fly in London? And are you really globalizing it to get fans, or are you trying to bring Cardinal and Cubs fans over to London to watch a game? It seems like a novelty item and an experience for Cardinals fans and Cubs fans or people in London who say, hey, this baseball game is coming. Maybe we should get tickets. Mm-hmm. It seems like just a money generator. And Certain sports certainly can reach a global status. We've seen soccer do that. We've seen basketball in the way that it expanded internationally. Baseball certainly has a huge international presence. But some of the places that these American leagues are trying to go and trying to do things like, I don't know why the NFL ever thinks they're going to be a global sport. It's not going to happen. Stop trying. It's never Mm -hmm. going to happen. It's just not. And 
for you to take games away from fans that actually want to see them or force other fans to spend a lot of money to go overseas or abroad to view these games, I think is ridiculous. And when you think about logistically, you're not going to be having American players that are going to want to play in London, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball. It's not going to happen. Guys don't even want to go to Toronto for crying out loud. That's true. That's you know great. what I mean. Like, or, yeah. or in Canada. Well, period. Look at American players and the discussions around Calgary right. for the NHL. Do we really think that American-born players and London is a great city? Don't do not get me wrong. But do we really think that they want to be that far away no. from their home country? No, it's not likely. And again, logistically, time zones. Yeah, you've got so much to deal with. And the other part of this, Michelle, is that specifically to London and Europe. I don't believe that baseball is going to be able to engender the youth of those countries in Europe to play baseball rather than soccer. That would seem to be a mammoth undertaking, like the NFL, like you said. The NFL isn't going to be a globally played sport. Yes, there are fans of the NFL that go to Wembley and play, that participate in their, what, half dozen games a year overseas in London. But... Are there going to be enough people to make it a real thing over the course of the long term? No, like you say, it's a novelty item. And it's it will hopefully for baseball be a novelty item for them to be able to generate some revenue. But at the end of the day, if these are home games for the Cardinals, I'd rather have the games here in Bush Stadium. So would I. And But they have to have a marquee matchup, a rivalry matchup, mm-hmm. especially with the Cardinals and the Cubs, which are two well-known franchises throughout baseball, in order to increase the appetite over there. If you take three home games away from the Cubs, how does that ownership group survive? That's a great question. You know, they suffer biblical losses in 2020, and mm-hmm. they're still having difficulty bouncing back from that. I don't know how they do survive. It's going to be pretty tough for them, the Cubbies. Thoughts and prayers. Cards and Cubs play a doubleheader today, 12-15 with the first game, and then the second game tonight at 6-45. And, Michelle, I'm going back to my 18-7 and over 25 games. The Cardinals 3-1 and so far. I want a doubleheader sweep today so that the Cardinals can be 5-1 and with the Yankees coming into town because I think what's going to happen, with all due respect, is that I think the, the Yankees will probably take two of three from the Cardinals. Probably. And Mark probably homers in all three games. I was just going to ask you, how many home runs do you think Matt Carpenter has when in his return to St. Louis? Maybe he doesn't get one against Montgomery. Maybe he doesn't even play against Montgomery. But I would think against the right-handers, he'll feast. And you know he's going to get Wayno. You just know that's coming. I don't know. I like my chances with Adam Wainwright in that one. He knows how to attack him. He thinks he does, but this is the new Matt Carpenter. This is the mustached Matt Carpenter? Mustache, new swing. Thank you, Joey Votto. Thank you, Matt Holiday. Thank you, uh, Tim Laker. Thank you, everyone but the Thank Cardinals. Thank you, Barucci Bats. Hey, Randy, take it or leave it. Matt Carpenter homers in his first at-bat. Take it. I take it, too. Yep, one nothing Yankees. It's okay. Great job today by our producer engineer. Oh, here's the lineup. You want to play the lineup game? Okay, Carlson in center field. Gorman at second. Goldie is your first baseman. Arnado DHing for the early game. All right. Paul DeYoung is at shortstop. Newt is in right field. Uh, your left fielder is Dickerson. Dickerson. Okay, the light is blocking the board here. I, can't see. Uh, I believe it says uh, Kisner next. Kisner is your catcher, and then uh, Donny Baseball. All is right, it, Donny it, Baseball. Donny Baseball at third. So we're looking forward to that. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio.
Pleasure. And Michelle, we're going to be traveling, but it should be a fun show tomorrow. We'll talk to you in Canton. Safe trip. be great. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.